Welcome to the Alt Swift and Gliders show. Woohoo. We're talking about food. Yippee. Yum yum. I hope you're hungry, and if you're not, you will be. It's a good thing we're not doing this in Ramadan again. That was really insensitive of us, yeah. in hindsight. Sorry. <laughs> My goodness, we got to keep an eye to the calendar. Are there any, like, public holidays today we should know about? Uh, King's birthday? That's is that? Did that already happen? I don't think he has birthdays. It, it, he's just an eternal being. Well... He always was and always will be. Charles. Charles. <laughs> today we're ranking, we're continuing our quest to rank... Every description of food in the Song of Ice and Fire series. In the Game of Thrones books, George describes food quite a lot. He loves this stuff. It's his favourite thing to eat. Food's definitely one of his favourite foods. Um, And so, today we're going to continue our quest with book four, A Feast for Crows. A feast for crows, you say? It's a feast! It's on theme! It's got to be full of food. I think the feast is a book full of happiness and good times and plenty, surely. Yeah. So, uh, so let's find out what foods there are. Sure. In this feast for this feast for bros, because we're the bros. It's a feast for bros. Although it's we're all it's bros here. It's for everyone, here. even if you're not a bro. I think we're bro. the feast and they're the bros. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's best not to think about it. Uh, so the first chapter in A Feast for Crows is the prologue, and that's where we've got- Wouldn't it be funny if you put the prologue, like, in the middle of the book? Would, would, where would it exist in time? Would it would it be a flashback to the beginning, or would it be- No, 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 it's in chronological order, it's just- You're just the, calling just it a prologue. prologue. Yeah. I think that'd just be a lie. Well- <laughs> I don't think George is beyond lying. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea that the prologue to The Winds of Winter will be a Hodor chapter. Hodor. And it's just Hodor, Hodor, Hodor for every word. such a great troll. That would be We've wonderful. Been waiting 13 years for a book and the first chapter is just Hodor 1300 times in a row. Oh, the entire book is just one extended food description. Oh my god. Uh, after you eat The Winds of Winter, will you write a food description about it? Strips of paper dribbled down his chin. <laughs> Ink dribbled onto <laughs> his sleeves. His fingers wet with pulp. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't get us demonetized already, Gladys. Yeah. So, the prologue of A Feast for Crows is like... It's like one of the most fun chapters in the series, isn't it? I think it's one of the best. It, yeah. Because you got, you got Alaras, Oberon Martell's secret daughter pretending to be a man... And studying at the Citadel so of the Maesters. Extremely real. And you've got Pate the Pig Boy as our POV character. The faceless man rocks up. You see a lot of intersecting um, like uh, people from across Westeros interacting there in Old Town. Yeah, it's, e- yeah. it's extremely cool to see the faceless man, who's I probably love- Jack and Hagar, because yeah. he's like an Arya character who's coming into Sam's plotline, mm. who's connecting maybe to Euron's plotline. So, Old Town's a great convergence. And, like, throughout this chapter, the acolytes at the Citadel discuss a lot of things from throughout the series. It's basically a recap. Yeah, it is that, isn't it? Yeah. Because they talk about the, 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 the stories, the tales of Daenerys' dragons yeah. in the East, and they're skeptical about that, and... It, it almost reminds me of, like, a, like 
audience members in like a play or something like the characters who represent the audience like recapping events and yeah. reacting to them because these are all bit players like who we've come not... back from the interval and there's these couple of characters from the chorus yeah just... hey hey rosencrantz what do you think of this hamlet guy <laughs> that sort of stuff um i think he's a right tosser <laughs> sure hope we don't get murdered <laughs> on with the show <laughs> I, I understand that um that our our pal George Martin, the author, wrote like seventeen different versions of this prologue chapter. Yeah, um, right, right, right. And in some of them, Rosie, the woman who works at the pub, was the POV character for this chapter. Mm. And in another version, like Alaras or, or Leo or someone was the POV. Like he was playing with all these different POV yep. perspectives, which is super interesting. He does a lot of that. Like you'd have to. I mean, you could just make a decision and stick with it, George. <laughs> Might help you with finishing things, George. Well, hmm. I don't know. There's a discussion to be had about the five-year gap there. Because what if he'd like made that decision and stuck with it? Maybe the books had, would have come out sooner. But maybe they wouldn't be as cool. Yeah, because the story is that George like struggled monumentally with writing the next book in the series. Um... And ultimately made the decision to... It took him five whole years, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but but Feast, when he released Feast, it wasn't even really the full book because he split the book in two into Feast and Dance. So it took him 11 years. Yeah. He... Can you imagine waiting 11 years <laughs> for one book? That's it... actually two books. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's a bit too real. Um, yeah, so, like, I, I, he made this monumentally big decision, this writing decision, to release Feast separate from Dan's and to break it up. And, you know, this is a book that doesn't have Jon Snow in it and doesn't have Daenerys in it because he's or split Tyrion. it across geography. Yeah, so it's the book that has, like, people's favourite characters aren't in this book. It introduces the weird Ironborn plot lines and the weird Dawn plot lines, and it doesn't tell you what's going on at the wall. It doesn't tell you what's going on. Uh, in the east it's honestly an incredibly brave book to release that yeah. like doesn't please what anyone wanted yeah yeah it absolutely is and i don't know i don't know if it's brave or kind of cowardly like i feel like i think i feel like random house probably bullied george into releasing, releasing something releasing something because that's a pattern that george has done a lot like he keeps going oh i wrote fire and blood because my publishers said i had to release <laughs> something and i wins isn't done so i i i, I wrote a hundred thousand words of fake Oopsie. history <laughs> oh, i had no other choice and i like, fell over and accidentally wrote an entire history book help i can't hold all these fictional histories <laughs> So yeah, I, yeah. I feel like Feast is definitely like like the weird child of the family, you know. Like it's, I still love it. It's the runt of the litter. It's a very it, unique, interesting book. I think mainly because like it features none of the flashy events that characterize the first three books in some way. Like everyone was drawn in. Obviously, there's a lot more wonderful detail and beautiful prose and thematic exploration in those first three books. But what really hooks people is the um explosive events, really, like Red Wedding A Storm of Swords is just such a ride. Yeah. Um and then to follow it with this slow meandering um exploration of characters you didn't really expect to be exploring that features very few explosive moments. What a departure. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, well said. Yeah, because it, 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 like, a we follow was- Brienne wandering around the Riverlands for an entire book. Cersei just sitting in King's Landing, fucking things up for herself. Um, Arianne's completely failed Dornish plot yeah, that, that goes came nowhere. out of nowhere and also goes nowhere. Sam sailing south and accomplishing nothing. Like, it, it is shocking how little happens in this book compared to Storm, which was an absolute balls-to-the-wall blockbuster. Mm. Whereas this is, yeah, like this sort of navel-gazing travelogue. <laughs> We're all staring at George's belly throughout this one. <laughs> but, yeah, so it may not have a lot of explosive moments, but boy, does it have some food it descriptions. It has some food. It, it has some food. Well, I mean, because that's the other thing, of course, because, like, you know, the title of Feast for Crows, like, what this book is about is the aftermath of the wars mm. and, and, and the battles that happened in the previous books. And so uh, food in this book... It's about starvation. It's a book about desolation. It's a book about people suffering the consequences of the war, the economic and social upheaval and and, and suffering that's happened. So, um, it's kind of a book about about a lack of food as much as it's a book about food. It's not a book about food. I don't know where you're getting that from. (laughs) The batshit framework we've decided to go through it today. Yeah, it's 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 like if you tried to understand Shakespeare only by reading the lines that have exclamation marks in them or something. <laughs> like, like it's a completely like like looking only at the food descriptions is such a arbitrary way to mm, look at this series. Maybe we should only read the sentences that don't have the letter E. Yeah, I like that. That'd be a bitch to find. <laughs> no, we, we can write a script. We can, we can do it. We can do it. Your regex magic. Oh yeah. Um, all right, let, let, so the prologue, we, we open on this like unexpected scene with these new characters, Alaras and Leo and Melanda and Pate and, and all these folks. And, um, the important bit in this scene is the food description, of course, which is Leo Tyrell, who is a cousin of Mace Tyrell. I know that. And I didn't have to look it up. Thanks, Glidus. Mace Tyrell's close personal friend <laughs> and cousin, Leo Tyrell, whose nickname is Lazy, yeah. which is, like, Come brutal. On, I mean, really. Not George Martin's best epithet, honestly. Yeah. So, Leo says, <clears throat> I wasted my last stag on supper. Suckling pig in plum sauce, stuffed with chestnuts and white truffles. A man must eat. What did you lads have? Mutton, <laughs> muttered Molander. Oh, George really liked that one, didn't he? He loved it. Um, he sounded none too pleased about it. We shared a haunch of boiled mutton. So, for those who weren't paying attention, Leo's an obnoxious rich person who's trying to show off his wealth and his class by saying, "Well, I ate this amazing suckling pig, fancy meal," mm. and he acts as though that's nothing. While all these lower class people only had boiled mutton. I had to eat something, so I guess I had a roast pig in plum sauce. All I had (laughs) was some white truffles. (laughs) Peasant food. And it's like, I really like how the Citadel is spoken of as this place where people are equal. Well, men are equal. Yeah. Um, Which, again, the presence of Sorella Sand uh, really brings that up as well when the reader figures out that's who it is, if they do. If you you didn't figure it out, sorry for spoiling that. Um, (laughs) 
and and this line here is one of the demonstrations of that being a lie. Absolutely, that, like the Citadel is not a classless place. Yeah, yeah, and and that's something that George does throughout the story. Is he he takes these institutions like mm. knighthood and the Maesters and um, the Night's Watch, and he examines why they suck and they just do not live up to what they're meant to be. But individuals can still choose to uphold what's good about the institution. That's what Jon Snow's story is all about. Because, like, the Night's Watch, similarly, is meant to be this classless, Mm. egalitarian, equal institution. Like, Benjen tells Jon, this is a place where a man gets what he earns. It's meritocratic. But then we find out that it's a total lie. And, like, knights get special privileges. But it's not Benjen lying. It's the institution just, like, is fundamentally built on a lie. It's not that Benjen decided to lie to John. It's, um... Yeah, but Benjen was being aspirational yeah. in that. Well, he believes it. Yeah, but I mean, Benjen isn't blind. He's not an idiot. He should yeah. have seen that the Night's Watch is failing to be as meritocratic as it's meant to be. And he should have been more honest to Jon Snow. Because mm. Jon yeah, Snow he did... gets there and he sees, oh... Yeah, John felt like everyone lied to him. But, but you know, part of what John's story is about is that he sees what is good and worthy in the Night's Watch as an institution, and he decides to uphold and protect and defend those values. But some of the values, like the law against finagling with cute redheads, he chooses to break that rule. So, because yeah, he sees it as ro- silly. Yeah. A silly and, rule. And not even technically in the rules anyway. Yeah. But yeah, 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 I totally agree. Yeah, this this chapter is partly about how the Maesters... I mean, in a lot of ways, in many different ways, this chapter is about how the Maesters... I mean, this this book shows us in many different ways that the Citadel of Maesters is a corrupt and weird institution. And then, you know, of course, at the end of the book, we have Marwan the Mage alleging that, hey, there's a conspiracy. They'll poison your porridge if you talk about dragons. Um, he's a real one. He's one of us. <laughs> yeah, he, he's I, a fan theorist. I, I like the idea that Marwan is like a parody of crazy fan theorists. <laughs> I, I, honestly, like Marwan the Mage is one of the main reasons I wanted to read the next Song of Ice and Fire book because it is so wild how Marwan drops these crazy yeah. theories on us, and we and we still have no idea whether he's totally telling the truth or totally lying or what. So, yeah, Leo, so, so I think we should rate Leo's meal, suckling pig in plum sauce, stuffed with chestnuts and white truffles. I, I mean, mean, I'd call that an A. I, I think I might call that an S. Yeah? That sounds fantastic. I, I, I would like a bit of greens in there. But but the pig and plum, I mean, what a combo. Mm, the old finished with white truffles. The mm. old 2P. Two yeah, two P and T. The PPS. Yeah. I call it the two P and T. Pig plums and truffles. Two P and T. I'm, I'm. I I would call it Estia. I think I was being reserved just to leave a bit of room, you know. Although this is a feast for crows. I we'll think probably... it's all down yeah, from here. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's send it. Estia. To celebrate our first food ranking, would you like to look at some super chats? Yeah. Let's talk about some of the money we earned. Thank you, Daddy Cuss. Chin juice, chin juice, chin juice. Mm-mm-mm. Or plum, plum, plum chin. sauce. Yeah, sauce, chin, sauce. Thank you, Linus, for the super chat. Uh, love you too in the vids. Shout out to the Got Gang. Shout out to the Got Gang. Thank you, Marcelo Deliveria, who says, What is the oil 
in oily black stone. Olive oily black stone? Cod liver oily black stone? I think it's petrol. It's not actually oil. It's a common misconception. <laughs> is that like the economy of Ashai is that it like runs on this this oil, this petroleum that they built the city out of? Yeah. The, so there's tar pits near mm. Ashai. I'm making shit up just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, they use the, you know, ancient remains of long dead creatures and they refine it into oil that they... You know, ship around the world. I mean, there would be a lot of dead things around Ashai. Yeah. Like, it's a place of death that seems to have formerly been a place where people lived because there's a big city there. Mm. So, there would be a lot of oil, maybe, from decomposed creatures. I, 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 it's unclear how long it's been a place of death. Because I think you need to be compressed for quite a while to become oil. That's true. That, um, that might take millions of years. Yeah, a few, a few million. Hmm. Um... Well, despite what people might tell you, it's a it's a fantasy book, not a sci-fi book, so we probably shouldn't worry about millions of years. They're the same thing. Um, why why is the blackstone oily? I, I I the blackstone is like a few different things. I think I think part of it why it's oily is because it's like greasy, deep ones, Lovecraft stuff. Yeah, it's imagery that George wants to evoke. And the other adjacent thing is that the black stone is potentially like a meteorite that's fallen from the sky. Like the Dane meteor that Dawn is made out of and like the uh, red star comet and like the... Uh, that's a Vulcran. The Vulcran spaceship, of course, and the uh, bloodstone of the bloodstone emperor. Like, I think it's space rocks is what I'm trying to say. Hell yeah. That's space oil. That the high tower is built on. Yeah. Sick. That's probably that that's probably this the stone that the Danes made dawn out of is the high tower foundation. Don't you reckon? Well it's a black oily stone and dawn is like a pale milky. But it was made for, it, it, it was made there. from the heart of a comet. Yes. Maybe So we're told. So maybe big ass rock landed on Battle Isle and the people carved into the comet to form, like, the buildings of the Hightower Foundation. And within the heart of that rock that fell, they find, like, this magical white bit of stone. And that's where Dawn comes from. I guess. Because it's the heart of the comet. Because, like, Old Town's pretty close to the Dane stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, it makes, like, it, was there coincidentally a meteor that landed in Starfall and a meteor that landed on Battle Isle? Or was it actually just one event? Well, objects, when they fall through atmospheres, tend to break up. Yeah. So, it, it, like, maybe it could have fallen both at Old Town and at Starfall. Because, I mean, the name is Starfall. You'd think that something happened there, considering, you know... Yeah, no, that's a good point. Asteroid comes from the Greek for star... Oh, yeah, Aster, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Broke up while I was coming in. I can believe that. Yeah, maybe. I hope that answers your question, Marcelo. <laughs> um, actually, I think it's Sunflower Royal. Thanks for the super chat from Simcoe, who says that A Feast for Crows has the Cersei POV chapters and is therefore the best book. Simcoe coming in with the correct opinion once again. Yeah, Cersei's enormously fun in this book. And I we'll... love um, Cersei 4. It's such a bonkers chapter. What happens so in four? It's the one with the council meeting where basically they decide what to help, what to do with the country. 
Um, it's the one where she sends Channel Slint off to kill Jon Snow. <laughs> um, she tells all rained waters to build a massive fleet so that he can steal it. Um, it, it it's a really it's another cool examination of lots of different plot lines of the story coming together. This is why council scenes are so much fun, is because you get to examine the plot all at once from one particular perspective. Yeah. Yeah, the story's large enough that we can get the pleasure of parts of the story touching other parts of the story yeah. unexpectedly, which is like a cool trick that you can only do when you have written a sufficiently large and expansive Absolutely. story. Absolutely. And it's so satisfying. Yeah, Cersei tells Wyman Mandley to kill Davos Seaworth. <laughs> like Cersei and Wyman Mandley are yeah, such like best bros. They're such different people in such different places, and for them to be communicating in feast, like that's one of the other weird things is that feast and dance happen simultaneously. Yeah. Have you um ever looked into those reading methods that like fuse the books together into what some fans figure to be a um coherent or chronological order? Yeah, yeah, because since Feast and Dance are basically two halves of one book, some fans have mushed them together yeah. into a combined reading order. Um, I haven't read it like that, but I, it would make sense. I'm interested in doing it. Because that's probably how George wrote it, yeah, like, it could, or at least large yeah, chunks of like it. it. Yeah. I mean, like all, author, like many authors, I suppose, he's like kind of scattered about like touching up chapters after he's finished ones that come way after. Like he said, the, the Red Wedding was one of the last things he wrote for A Storm of Swords, and that happens around two-thirds of the book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he must have been kicking himself. Like, since it took him so many years to finish Dance... Like, there must have been things in Feast that happened simultaneous to Dance, where yeah. he's like, oh, I wish I had done this bit in Feast differently, mm. because it would connect with what I'm doing now in Dance way better. Yeah, well, think about how many um, chapters of The Winds of Winter he had finished when Dance came out. Like, is he doing that again? Yeah. Um, I think I read recently somewhere that he said that he wished there was one character that was still alive, and people were speculating on who that was. Obviously, it's... Um, Quentin. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say... Um, oh, fuck. The clown that Brienne kills. The Shagwell. <laughs> Sh Shagwell is Azor High, and Shagwell will rise again from the place of salt and smoke because Crackclaw Point is by the sea, so it has salt, and Brienne has a campfire before she kills Shagwell. So there is smoke and salt at Crackclaw Point where, when Brienne kills Shagwell. Therefore, indisputably... Fucking hell. And Brienne has Oathkeeper, the Valyrian steel sword. Did so you just have this ready to go? So therefore, Oathkeeper <laughs> is Lightbringer, and I the stars overhead are sufficient. Uh, the red comet, Vulcan no, spaceship. it's the star on Brienne's shield. It's yeah, which is it's which is a falling star because it's Dunk's heraldry. So therefore, Shagwell will defeat the White Walkers in a Dream of Spring. He's dead. Shut up. <laughs> no, he will rise again. He'll be resurrected, like by Melisandre. No, by Lady Stoneheart. <laughs> no, by Kinvara. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so fucking funny if George just wrote Kinvara into the <laughs> yeah. Winds of Winter and she just but, like- But like, didn't even introduce her, like, just assumed we already knew who she was from Game of Thrones. <laughs> it, anyway. It, it introduced my, yourself, my lady. My name is Kinvara. I come from uh, the distant eastern land of HBO. <laughs> Season six. <laughs>
It, if George doesn't give a grisly death to some characters called Dan and Dave at some point <laughs> in The Winds of Winter, I will be shocked. Uh, thanks for the super chat from Conker, who says, Would Robert Baratheon rather fight 100 crab-sized sharks or 10 shark-sized crabs? Robert Baratheon is obsessed with machismo. He would want to fight the bigger things, I think. He would want to fight both, all at once. Yeah, yeah true. I think a, a shark-sized crab, fighting them would be the most rewarding because they're larger foes and they would be delicious. Although sharks can be delicious too. I think it would be really hard to kill a shark-sized crab. Oh, absolutely. Like, that, like crustacean armor, like when it's big enough, like how are you going to... I mean, I guess his Warhammer is a bit like a, a crab. I think the crab would kill him, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Especially if there's ten of them. Ten of them. Yeah, Yeah. Robert's fucked. And then after the crabs kill Robert, Cersei can eat the crabs. How's Cersei going to kill the crabs? Wildfire. Yeah. Yeah. Burn them. Cook them. Put them in a stew. (laughs) Uh, And thanks for the super chat from my bastard son, Old Shrift Stone. (laughs) Shrift Stone, you you keep asking me to provide for you, but you keep sending me super chats. Like, I I feel like you should hold on to your super chats so that you can eat. That's like him cobbling together every piece of wealth he has so that he can contact you for help. And you're saying, well, he's clearly well off enough to to get a raven. (laughs) Eat the raven. Ravens (laughs) are delicious. Eat the raven. We'll Uh, get back to those later. We did one food description. It's been 25 minutes. Yeah, I I don't think we should rest on our laurels until we've completed more than (laughs) one food ranking. It's been 25 minutes, Clytus. Let's pick up the pace. Would you like to introduce our next chapter? The Prophet. So this is Aaron Greyjoy, uh, Mr. Damn Fair. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One day... We shall feast on fish together in the drowned gods' watery holes. The four of us, and Yuri too. Would you like to eat fish forever underwater in the afterlife forever? Well, look, if my worldview is entirely based on a guy called the drowned god, I'd probably think that's pretty cool. Like, I think of it as a Valhalla metaphor. I think that's what's going on here. That's mm. what George is trying to evoke. It With the term watery hole, the drowned gods' watery holes, it just takes me to uh, Viking heaven. Um, uh, then, yeah, I think it would be pretty cool to do that. I love how cartoonish it is. Like, it's so, like, Little Mermaid. Like, like the, the Ironborn are these tough, brutal, murdering dudes. Yeah. And yet their idea of the afterlife is is so just patently ridiculous. I mean, I, I mean, I guess like heaven being like living on clouds with, with angels. I guess that's sort of equally silly, I guess. But like underwater, you can't talk. You can't talk underwater. Are you just going to blub, blub, blub at your loved ones for forever in the afterworld? <laughs> Live sound effects. Oh, joy. Um... <laughs> I, I think that there's details that Aaron's glossing over here. You know, that the drowned god would, would, you know, we can talk somehow, it's fine. I'm wearing special wizard's armor that lets me breathe underwater. Yeah, I, I think George is deliberately making it, like, cartoonish. Because this arc is partly about, you know, criticizing 
how wrong the Ironborn are about everything. <laughs> and, like, Asher needing to reform the Ironborn society. And so, I think Aaron's arc is about him discovering that everything he believes is a lie. And that's why, like, the Forsaken T-Wow preview chapter... He sees the drowned god dead, and Euron says yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all a lie and it's all bullshit, and I am all that there is. And... What I find really interesting about Aaron's character then is that his backstory is him realizing that everything he believed was a lie, and then becoming a prophet of the drowned god. Yeah, and true. here we're watching him basically do that again. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Like, yeah, he he started with a grand revelation and shifting his worldview because he used to be a party boy, and then he suddenly became a devout man. Which is the High Sparrow story in Game of Thrones, by the way. <laughs> so the High Sparrow is Aaron Damfair, is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, it's actually a genius transplacement of Aaron's story into King's Landing. Transplacement. Transplacement. <laughs> Interesting word. <laughs> Tran- yeah, if you can't keep up with what's going on in my head. I believe the correct word is plan plan trans Plansmutant. Plansmutant. <laughs> Transduce. Tra- All right. <laughs> okay. Um, Give me some of that transduce. Um, so, Aaron, Aaron had a revelation to become a holy man, and now he's going to have a revelation. Is he going to say, "I should have just been pissing this whole time. I should yeah. have stayed a party boy. I should have continued." Because that was his backstory: was that he used to be the guy on the Iron Islands who could urinate over a further distance than anyone else. <laughs> like, that that's, like, the big cool fact that we know about Aaron, but then he, like, it's almost... how far he can piss. <laughs> Wait, so, so, so did did Aaron almost die? Yeah. What, what, was it a battle or was it drowning? I think it was a battle. I, I forget. Can, can you enter your mind palace and <gasps> uh, go into Bran Warg vision and, and remember for yeah, us yeah. what happened to Aaron? Let me just look it up on the Weirwood net. Yeah, the weird net. That'll remind us. Um, because I wonder if people theorize that Aaron was touched by the Three-Eyed Crow. Um, people theorize that everyone was touched by the Three-Eyed Crow. I mean, don't don't knock it, Gladys, because, like, I sincerely believe that Euron was, was touched oh, yeah, by yeah, the yeah, Three-Eyed yeah, Crow. Yeah, yeah, we've all seen it. As well as Bran. Um, it would be funny if Aaron was as well. But Bloodraven really, like, messed up. <laughs> <laughs> like if Bloodraven yeah, touched Aaron, he almost died in the rebellion. That's what I thought. In Robert's rebellion, no, the Greyjoy rebellion. In the, in the Greyjoy rebellion, yeah, right. Um, yeah, it it is kind of weird if you have a, a character undergo a massive revelatory transformation, and then years later have him just undo that revelation. Mm. I, I mean, it, it, it's I mean, it's kind of real though because like there are plenty of people who in real life have like religious conversions and religious revelations and are born again and embrace religion. And once you've done that, it's really hard to undo that because it's really hard to admit you were wrong and admit because if you were always a fence sitter or if you were always agnostic, then it's like really easy to change from there. Mm. But once you've committed to saying this is the truth and you must follow me. It's really hard to back down to from an ideological extreme. Yeah, you yeah. can't undrink the Kool-Aid. So yeah, what does that what does that look like for Aaron? Well, I don't know if Aaron has enough time to have another <laughs> life unraveling revelation. <laughs> yeah, as much as I would love another dozen Aaron Dampere POV chapters and him settling down somewhere as a reformed man, a reformed bear. 
Um, I don't expect he's going to live very long, is he? By the way, I noticed someone freaking out in the live chat. It is pronounced damp hair. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to gaslight everybody. <laughs> so, 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 the thing, so, so, Aaron damp hair, that's how it's pronounced, damp hair, and it's spelled D-A-M-P-H-A-I-R. But the author, George Martin, was, was flummoxed when he <laughs> encountered fans who had read his books and were under the impression that it was pronounced damn fair. The P and the H, damn fair, damn fair, which is very hilarious. Yeah. In hindsight, perhaps a hyphen was necessary. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, uh, how do you rate feasting on fish forever in the afterlife? Look, if I'm going to eat one food forever in one kind of hole, fish forever <laughs> in a watery hole with all of my brothers. Sorry, I thought you said watery hole. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, one kind of hole, one kind of fish. Um, uh, you might have said this, but I was distracted uh, i think fish is good because fish is not really one food fish is a more of a family yeah of true foods. true like it's a whole like zoological kingdom it's um, not a kingdom it's a kingdom mr taxonomical expert no, in our last stream i had to post an entire errata of the things i said that were wrong yeah i, I was really impressed by all of the taxonomical knowledge that you were dropping with um, enormous confidence during that live oh, stream. oh look i was right mostly i just you know gotta be specific <laughs> about these things this may have gone too far on a few a few places yeah, but we can undo it um i my problem with eating fish together forever in the drowned halls is that, like, aren't fish, like, their friends? Like, like the, aren't they served fish by- Fish are friends. Fish are not friends. Not food. Be because the, they're served by mermaids in the drowned halls. And, like, the drowned god is borderline a fish. Like, 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 eat, like let me put it this way. Ariel the mermaid uh -huh. does not eat fish. What does she eat? Seaweed. Grass? <laughs> Seagrass. She she must she must eat she must how be you, vegetarian. How do you know that? Well, because because Where is this she's talking from? to fish. Yeah, fish are her friends. Fish are people underwater. You don't eat people. Do you think sheep are cute? Yes. Well, there you go. I don't talk to them though. Oh, but could you imagine yourself talking to them oh, if yeah, you were a right. Disney princess? Well, I, I have talked to sheep actually, so that's that's. That's fair. <laughs> they don't talk back. If they talk back, you can't eat them. That's what I'm trying That's to say. That's a good rule, actually. Yeah. If something if something says, please don't eat me, th then you must not eat it. That's o a good otherwise, test. Otherwise, all bets are off. That's Well, I mean, mutes are an interesting grey we'll area. Yeah, we'll see the philosophy you're creating here. Yeah, look, I may have backed myself into a uh, ethical uh, corner here. I think... Off-screen, Ariel chows down on all sorts of fish. I'm horrified by that. Because, she because feasts on fish in the drowned god's watery holes. Because she is half fish, so it's it's cannibalism. At least half cannibalism. Hmm. Alright. Uh, I Look, I for, for ethical reasons, I'm, I want to rank that a D. Just because you don't think they should be eating fish, I I don't. Well, because fi because you think it's a bit of a faux pas. Yes, because like fi but it's a part of the religion. I think it's weird. I think Aaron Damper has thought this through more than you have. Yeah, he's probably I, got. He a, has an internal excuse for why this makes perfect sense. I guarantee he does. I hope that we get like 
Aaron's theological explanation, justification for eating fish in the drowned. He, he takes a break from having an incredibly horrific, psychedelic-induced uh, fever dream to explain to the reader why it's okay that he's eating all these fish. I would not put it past George. So our next chapter is... Uh, <laughs> On to our third food description. Our third food description. Real lightning round here. Um, we're in Dawn. Welcome to Dawn. Welcome to sunny Dawn. The, the city of Dawn. This, the, yeah, oh my God. Yeah, that's what they did in the map in the TV show, isn't it? <laughs> this singular location called Dawn. It's a little bit like if um, you, you, you went to a, a place called South America. Welcome, you have arrived at South America. Here is the leader of South America, Doran Martel, you know? Um, reductive. Would you like to read our first quote-unquote food description? Um, this is narrator, isn't it? Mm. Where, where Ario's thoughts describing Duran Martel. The gout had swollen and reddened his joints grotesquely. His left knee was an apple. Not exactly, George. His right a melon, and his toes turned to dark red grapes, so ripe it seemed as though a touch would burst them. I'm so uncomfortable. That is really... Not nice. Isn't that awful? He's describing gout, this horrible medical mm. condition, and, and the way that George chooses to explain it is, of course... Delicious fruity snacks. <laughs> <laughs> fruity snacks? Um, a melon? A melons are huge. Maybe he's thinking of, like, a medieval smaller melon yeah. or something. Um, Before we maximalise them. Yes. I heard a theory. I, 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 I've got some melon opinions, and I've heard that what they actually do is they get the melons that are actually small. They get a big hypodermic needle full of flavoured water, and they just inject the melons. And that's what makes it a watermelon. Oh. Yeah, I guess it's not false advertising, then. Hmm. Um, How does the skin expand to keep all that new water in well they do it slowly uh, while the, the melon is growing years. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah, right yeah. they put like an iv drip of water into the melon while it's growing in order to increase its size what's the point of that because then they can sell they it for more money more. Yeah, they yeah, weigh yeah, more yeah. they charge you by the gram so or ounce yes for all of our listeners in fucking bosnia or whatever the furlong uh, I would like to rate this F. You don't want to eat Duran Martel's knees? I don't want to eat Duran's <laughs> knees. That's an F. Very unappetizing. So then we get some actual food. Uh, a serving man brought him a bowl of purple olives with flatbread, cheese, and chickpea paste. He ate a bit of it and drank a cup of the sweet, heavy, strong wine that he loved. So there's a bit of a Mediterranean flavour to this food, Ooh, yeah. isn't there? Sounds great too. Well, it sounds good. Like it's, it doesn't blow me away, but you know, it sounds. There's no negativity associated with this food. It, when he says chickpea paste, does he mean hummus? hummus? Yeah. Why doesn't he say hummus? Because I don't know. Maybe George thought that that would be anachronistic. I don't know. It's up to him to choose how to describe things. Weird choice, George. Hmm. Um. Maybe hummus is a bit more. Like specific, although I don't think it is. Well, he uses specific things like cap capon, mm. gazpacho. 
And then Duran drinks the sweet, heavy, strong wine. And I'm sure that Duran drinks, like, alcohol to deal with his the pain of his gout, partly. Mm-hmm. But I think that him drinking the strong wine, sipping the Kool-Aid, mm-hmm. I think that's sort of indicating... That's like a hint of how badly the Dawn plans are going. Like, their mastermind is drunk. <laughs> He's getting sloshed just <laughs> like, to deal with the day. But their the mega mind, who's coming up with all the plans, you know, the, the Dornish Martel plan to link up with the Targaryens and everything... He's he's crunk, and so he's making terrible plans. Like I think that's kind of part of it. Are you saying that Duran Martell and Cersei Lannister are parallel characters in this book? Oh no, they are, aren't they? <laughs> a Feast for Crows. A Feast for Crows is literally a book about people failing and making bad plans. Absolutely. Like, like everybody. Like Brienne goes on a goose chase, chasing but off like, the Shagwell. The reader already knows that she can't succeed in her uh, adventure to save Sansa or Arya. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie fucking is pilfered off to go deal with the Riverlands. Yeah, for what little good that's worth. Yeah. A region that is, like, just always in turmoil. John sends Amon and Sam to the Citadel so that Amon can convince the maesters of the White Walkers and Amon dies. <laughs> Goes the rest of the voyage pickling in a barrel. Didn't think that one through, John. Everyone's plans fail in this book. It is it is such a bravely downer yeah. book. My God. People are pointing out in the uh, live chat that wine and alcohol can actually worsen gout. Oh. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe, um... And yeah, rich food as well can do it. Yeah, so I, so 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 Doran's gout is a well. That's why it's the king's disease. It, it's an illness of his own making, you know. And that's sort of what the Martell thing's about. And, and all of the like blood oranges that are overripe and splatting, like, like right from the beginning, there are all these hints that Doran is making terrible mistakes. As smart and as cool as he See, looks, he's just he's just as dumb as Cersei. The fan reaction to the incredibly stupid plan of presenting Daenerys with a marriage contract that had nothing to do with her. <laughs> like, the reaction to that is, oh, that must not actually be Duran's plan. But I guess when you pair it with all of this imagery, it kind of... It has to be that just... He is an idiot. Although there are other George stories where, you know, the... Let's not get into it. <laughs> the chess-playing mastermind... Um, does he ever do it where the guy acts really, really, really stupid and then it turns out isn't? Yeah, that would be a great question. I don't think so. Yeah. We need to sit down, read all of George's stories and discuss them in a podcast format. We do need to do that. (laughs) A a comparative analysis of Gigabrain masterminds in George Martin's work would be a good time. Um, I would eat this food. Yeah, sounds good. Is that a B? B? Yeah, okay. I would get gout to that. I, that would, that's worth gout. <laughs> so then Ario Hutar, who was uh, Huta. briefly in the TV show, um, he's from Norvos, and he reminisces about his homeland, and he describes the taste of winter cake. Rich with ginger and pine nuts and bits of cherry, with nasa to wash it down. Fermented goat's milk served in an iron cup and laced with honey. That sounds like a wonderful yuletide treat. Is nasa a real thing? 
I don't know. The National Association of Home Scholars Alumni. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what... Oh, it... Ario's a cannibal? Oh, no, no. The next clause of the sentence is describing to you what NASA is. Yeah. It's fermented goat. Goat's milk. I was just wondering Lace if NASA is a real word or if it's one that George made up. It appears to not be a real world word. Yeah. So George did, was not confident enough to use the word hummus, but he was willing to, <laughs> to invent, invent NASA. <laughs> what is going on here, George? I, I think that tastes, that, that sounds very delicious. Ginger and pine nuts and bits of cherry. That sounds fantastic. And we're back at the fermented milk. Always with the fermented milk. No, look, it's, in, it's a part of... You know, cultures of that geography, I guess. Is it sanitary to drink from an iron cup? Would it would it rust? You don't want to drink rust. Um, it would, I suppose, rust over a very long period of time. Mm. Why does it have to be served in an iron cup? I, I, I kind of love that. Because it's such an arbitrary thing that, yeah. it, that it must be it, like a cultural, traditional... Yeah. No, no, if it's not served in an iron cup, it's not real NASA. And, and iron, you know, iron's like, like, it's like a, yeah, otherwise it's only sparkling goat milk. Because, um, like, iron's like a tough, militaristic, you mm. know, um, forceful material. And what, what the other stuff we know about the Norvosi is that they've got, that they like bears and axes. I think it's a, sort of like a Russian sort of a vibe with, I suppose, with the bears yeah. and stuff. Um, so the iron cup is nice. Maybe he's trying to tell us about a technology level thing. Now that doesn't make sense. It's a free city. It was born from the same. Yeah, I'm sure they heritage. can make steel, just yeah. not cups. <laughs> they have not got the technology for cups. Isn't iron one of the? Um... No, no, I'm thinking about radioactivity. Don't try to talk about science. You're not smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll do it anyway. Winter cake. What a lovely, evocative. It, it just sounds nice. Have some winter cake. And it not only sounds nice, it sounds nostalgic. Yeah. And it sounds homely. And that's what Ario's doing emotionally, is that he, he's longing for his homeworld. God, I, I, I really hope that Ario gets to go home in the books. That'd be nice. Because in the show, he gets murked by uh, Tyene Sand with a little paper envelope opener. Mm, a butterfly knife. Pricks him with a little with a little jib jabber and he and he drops like a redwood tree and it sucks. It really does suck. It sucks because the show like showed off how cool Ario is with his giant axe, his yeah. ornate axe, and you like threaten Jamie with it and it's like, wow, it's gonna be so cool when yeah, Ario uses that. A scene where Duran's like I hope you remember how to use that thing. <laughs> it's like, why did you do that? Apparently not. <laughs> and, and I mean, in fairness to D&D, like a lot of people criticize the Dawn plotline because it went nowhere and failed and ended suddenly. But like, as we were just saying, that's kind of what happens in every plotline in this book. <laughs> like, like D&D were kind, in a way, were being honest to the sort of uh, thematic vibe of this book by making seasons five and six an unsatisfying letdown. They were very clever to make such a bad show. Yes. Good well, job. Yeah. Hmm. I would like to rate this um, B, I reckon. B. Because, like, I don't love the fermented goat milk in the iron cup, but I do like the winter cake Slice a lot. with honey to help you wash it down. Yeah. I'll, winter cake, ginger, pine nuts, cherry, just... It, if you want A, I'll, I'll go like with A. a like, it is like pretty good. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then Duran Martel breaks his fast on a blood orange, 
and a plate of gull's eggs, diced with bits of ham and fiery peppers. That sounds pretty good. It's bacon and eggs. I feel like ham, like, there's such a wide spectrum of ham in terms of good and not good. Where do you sit on the ham spectrum? Well, it's the ham that's on the spectrum, not me. (laughs) I I am... (laughs) I am not more or less ham at any point. The ham is. Uh, gull's eggs. Have you had seagull eggs? I have not. Hmm. Every time I've tried, they've attacked me. I, 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 think, I think there needs to be some carbs in this breakfast. Like, all you've got is fruit and protein and mm. chili. That, that's going to give me yeah, indigestion. You, yeah, you need some sourdough. I'd give it a C, personally. C, really? Yeah. Are you that um, sick of ham? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, the fiery peppers don't don't appeal to me as well. Ah, to me, it sounds like you know, chili eggs. Sounds good. Yeah. Bit of ham cut up in there, no problem. Yeah, we can. Yeah, well, we, we can go B. I'll meet you there. B for Brienne. So now we begin Brienne's intrepid quest, a knight's tale, going on a journey to save a a lady, Sansa Stark. When a a well-intentioned hero goes on a journey, surely they will succeed. Joseph Campbell told us so. Right, George? (laughs) Right? Uh, But no, Brienne meets a bunch of wacky characters, Podrick and Hyle Hunt and the endlessly charming Randall Tarly and Shagwell. And Timian, and all those wonderful characters, and at the end of it, she pretty much ends up where she started. Dying. But she's not dead. She just got less face than she had before. Because <laughs> well, by the, the last chapter ends with her being hanged. Uh, right. Yes. True. The Brotherhood and Stoneheart hang <laughs> her. Yeah. She's been. Brienne's been hanging for the last thirteen years. Well, she appears in the Jamie chapter in the Dance with Dragons. Yes, right. And he's right. like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> it's the hound. She's he's got Sansa. You got to come and save him. Uh huh. It's it's it it just sucks that it, that plotline was so spread out. Like, it, like you you need YouTubers to explain the story to you because if you re- if you read the books, I need MatPat to sit down and tell me how <laughs> this all ties together. <laughs> oh, I tell myself that every day. Um, yeah, no, yeah, so Brienne ends up with Stoneheart, and then, yeah, she then agrees to lure Jamie to Stoneheart in dance. It seems that way, it sure does. I, that, that is, that is one of the plotlines that I'm most excited to see resolved. Yeah. Like, I quite like the idea of Jamie and Brienne, like, putting Stoneheart to rest in kind of, like, a positive way. Mm. Like, sort of emotionally resolving all of their sort of various feelings about their f- the failures and injustices that they have both suffered and committed throughout their arcs. Um, I would love to see that resolved. Yes. But until then, let's discuss the breakfast that <laughs> Brienne has with the Hedge Knights, Sir Illifer and Sir Creighton. I don't mind Illifer and Creighton, they're alright. They're They're fine. They do a little bit of uh, they do a little bit of a sexism Minor at the end, don't they? Yeah, a little bit of a sexism. But it's it's like the um, the well intentioned positive, you know, will be nice to you because you're a useless woman. So I mean, they're not as they're not that blunt with it. They just like, yeah, slightly patronizing. Yeah, 
But yeah, they seem like decent blokes. Roast squirrel, acorn paste, and pickles. Hmm. I like the sound of the roast squirrel. I like the sound of the pickles. Acorn paste. Yeah, not so sure about the acorn paste. Because doesn't Aya eat acorns and say that it sucks? It's nicely themed, though, with the squirrel. Yeah, it does feel it does feel very well. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, they definitely found the squirrel with the acorns, didn't they? And they're like, well, we might as well just eat them together. Mm. Like the squirrel and served on a on a piece of oak bark <laughs> with a sprig of oak leaves. But and the squirrel is probably mostly made of acorns, really, when mm. you think about it. Don't know where the pickle came in. <laughs> that's, that's what killed the squirrel. <laughs> How did what they hit it with a cucumber? <laughs> yeah. They bludgeoned the squirrel's head in with a cucumber. Um, well, maybe the pickle was was pickled in the squirrel. Ew. I'm just putting one and one together here. Mm-mm-mm. Two. They, they, well, they, Ilifa must have just had a jar of pickles. And then they found... Then they, Well, no, they bludgeoned the squirrel with the jar of pickles. Oh, with the jar, that makes more sense. Yeah. Probably packs more blunt force than the cucumber. Yeah, I think, but there's the risk that the jar breaks, and then you just then gotta, your pickles are all loose. Covered in, <laughs> covered in loose dead pickles. squirrels covered in pickle juice. Oh, that's what my grandma always told me. You bloody loose pickle. <laughs> Zip up your fly, or you'll have a loose pickle. I think acorn paste would go down well. Yeah, um, look, I, I think it, 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 the taste, pa- the palate seems a little mismatched. Well, I think the pickles cut through the blandness of the acorn paste. Mm. I think that's the idea. Like, like the 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 vinegary pickle vinegar t- cuts through the paste, and then I, I think it actually has been wonderfully designed. I feel like this is a gourmand experience. Mm. Put it on the uh, McDonald's menu. The McSquirrel. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a B. Yeah, look, I'm willing to try it. Yeah, I'd I'd do it. If someone served that to me, like, you know what? Yeah, let's go. Uh and at the inn where they go and have dinner, there's there's goat on the spit and uh there's also bread and drippings. Ooh, drippings. Available. Goat Mm-mm. drippings. Mm-mm. No less. Um I, I feel like drippings would actually be great. Like it's just grease. It's, yep. it's designed to run down chins, you know? Um, like all good things in this world. And goat on the spit, I rate that. Bread, I like bread. I, f- I, feel, like, I feel like goat on the spit could, could be so much better if you add something to it, but just goat on I its like own. Lettuce, tomato, onion, garlic, sauce, chili sauce, barbecue so- sauce, serve it in a pita bread. <laughs> I'm describing a kebab, yes, okay. I'm describing a kebab. What I want is a kebab, but I will settle for goat on the spit. Do you reckon C or B? What do you reckon? I'd give it a B. Yeah, sure. All right, so... um, We're at Sam now. This is a really fun chapter in my eyes because you see it from Sam's point of view in A Feast for Crows and John's in The Dance with Dragons, and it's the only chapter where that happens. Yeah, yeah, it's a very cute and unique thing where George gives us the same scene told from two different perspectives. Same chapter from two different perspectives, which is fun. Um, and, you know, Sam has survived the expedition beyond the wall and the, the death of Joe Beaumont and the massacre on the Fist of the First Men. That's right. He's basically just guided himself out of hell. Yeah, he has survived Apocalypse. And so now he finally 
gets to enjoy bean and bacon soup. <laughs> a bowl of bean and bacon soup. Because that, w- that is what got Sam through the ordeal that he went through beyond the wall, was thinking about food, a lot of it. Yeah, and that's how George got through all of the dark times in his life. But don't doubt it. Um, bean and bacon soup? Yeah, that sounds great. Sounds all right. Give it a... Give it a B, I guess. B for bean and bacon. Yeah, B for bowl. Where have you been, Slayer? We missed you last night at supper. A whole roast ox went uneaten. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, when you say it out loud, it becomes real. I hadn't thought about it until you said it. A whole fucking ox. (laughs) Yeah, I think think that's the first time the joke actually landed in my head. Like, Dolorous Ed is implying that because Sam wasn't at dinner, there was an entire (laughs) leftover ox that Sam would have normally eaten. Don't call me Slayer. Sam ignored the jibe about the ox. That was... That was just Pip. Um, Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, it's Pip who said that. Yeah, Yeah, my bad. Yeah. Yeah, Pip. Um... It is funny that that's, that Sam is constantly embarrassed that he killed a White Walker. Yeah. I didn't mean to. Like, it's it's the coolest thing he's ever done, and he tries to, you know, minimise it. Stop making fun of me, guys. Um, whereas he just accepts the, the fat jokes. Uh, and then later... Well, he's used to the fat jokes, but killing a White Walker is very new to him. He's, he has he's, to incorporate it into his identity. He's see. he's struggling to expand his self image beyond yeah. where it is. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like because all his life he'd imagined himself as a useless fat idiot. Well, not an idiot, but you know, useless fat craven. Let's say. And yeah. now he he has this cognitive dissonance where he's done the most badass thing imaginable, and like it just doesn't work in his head. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And that's a lot of what happens in Sam's chapters beyond the wall. Like when he's almost dying doing the death march back from the fist and he's telling himself in his head over and over, like, I'm worthless and I'm just fat and I'm weak and I'm and I'm craven and blah. And, he, and he's constantly like repeating this like negative self-talk in his head over and over. And it's like it's his father's voice. You know, it's Randall Tali's voice in his head telling him he's useless. And that's why Randall is in this book in Brienne's chapters uh, saying all this horrible stuff to Brienne, and we see that he's wrong about everything. Uh, yeah, but 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 you know he does evolve beyond what his father told him he was. Mm. But but he 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 hasn't emotionally realized that yet. And at the same time, of course, you know Cersei's chapters are all about her living in Tywin's shadow. Yep. Ty- you know Tywin's ghost living rent free in in Cersei's head. So really, what I'm trying to say is that a feast for crows is. Daddy Issues, the book, <laughs> the motion picture. Um, um, I wanted to comment, just like how Sam struggles with incorporating the things that he's done into his self-image, isn't that exactly what Jamie struggles with too? Yeah. Yeah, the good and the ill. He str- yeah, he struggles with doing good just as much as he struggles with doing bad. Mm. And it, yeah, yeah, and it's got so much to do with like reputation and like what people tell you you Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Sam has been told that he's a fat, useless craven, and so he is one. And then when he does something unbelievably brave yeah. and um, incredibly cool, like like something a, a cool guy might do, um, it just doesn't make sense to him. And when Jamie saves uh, Brienne's life, yeah. he has to like, but I'm the Kingslayer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, a Song of Ice and Fire is overwhelmingly about identity. And it's about, like, the difference between who you are inside and who you're perceived as outside. 
I think more importantly, though, it's about whether the dragon will fuck the kraken. <laughs> Let all the world beware. <laughs> That's a good line too. Uh, I, it's both. That's why I love this series. Yeah. I love this series because it has such deep and wonderful character building, and it also has Vikings battling <laughs> knights on boats, and it has dragons, and it has White Walkers, and it's got it's got everything. Yeah, something for everyone. Invite your grandma. <laughs> I'd eat more mice than you would. Dolores said Dollard gave a sigh. When I was a lad, we only ate mice on special feast days. I was the youngest, so I always got the tail. There's no meat on the tail. <laughs> That's just some classic Dolores Ed. <laughs> would you eat a, a mouse's tail? I mean, it's a special feast day. I've got to do what the family says. Why did, why did... I also am the youngest of my family, so I also got the tail. <laughs> Was it was it was it good the tail? There's no meat on it. What what is on? Is it skin? Like if it's not meat, what do you call it? Yeah, is it skin? skin? Yeah. Is is it? It's like a it's like a chicken's foot or something. It's mm. just like. Can, can, why do mice have tails? Doesn't it? Isn't that just something you can grab so that predators can eat the the mouse? I think it. Why help, do mice have tails? Doesn't it help with steering? Steering. <laughs> <laughs> Shifting gears. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Tokyo drifting. I, I don't. Well, that's the thing. Most mammals have tails. We're the weird ones. Yeah. Well, so there must have been a reason why we lost them. It's so that we can sit in office chairs and touch yeah. computers all day, right? That's why we yeah, yeah, got yeah, rid yeah, of our yeah. tails, so we could achieve our final evolution so of talking about a song of ice and fire on the internet. Yeah. Um, Once a month. <laughs> <laughs> I I would love to know why mice have tails. <sighs> Because, all right, no, he, I'll tell you why. I'll answer my question. Because you've heard, you've heard of a rat king, right? Yeah. You, you've heard that, that rats and mice can sometimes physically amalgam, amalgamate like, like a ginyu. What, what, what's, <laughs> what's the fusion you know, in Dragon Ball Z when they do the, 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 the fusion dance yeah, yeah, and they combine? What's that called? Like The, the fusion the dance. The fusion dance. <laughs> Okay. Ginyus so, have nothing to do with that. So, which okay, so so the mice do a fusion dance and they combine their tails together into a into a knot of 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 stuff and 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 clump together into a meta organism, a hive mind, if you will, of rodents, whose power together is greater than the sum of their individual parts. So if mice evolved to not have tails they would be unable to perform the fusion yeah, no, dance it just provides balance and it regulates their temperature Re reg come on who told you that wikipedia net. charles darwin yeah i don't like oh, come on balance what kind of what kind who of who needs balance well i'm well no well i guess mice do mice scurry you ever seen a mouse fall over no yeah well mice do run and jump across branches and like narrow surfaces and stuff I, I i guess i can see how a tail would actually like you could you could keep on in touch all right maybe we should move on a little bit would you eat a mouse tail i'm actually kind of interested now yeah, I, I, I'm not going to pretend I'm not curious. I reckon if you cooked it up crispy... Like it's such a small thing that it's like, why not? I'd, I'd have a nibble like for sure. Like a spider leg. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have a spider leg. I, I'm going to give it a, a D. Yeah, I don't want it, but I'll have it. I'd try it, yeah. Um, so Sam continues to... Hang on, did we rank the whole roast ox? Would you eat a whole roast ox? 
Yes, done. <laughs> so Sam uh, is fond of porridge, especially when it's sweetened with honey. Oh, who isn't? Yeah, I mean that's a that's an A. Yep. Uh, her saddlebags bulged with cheese <laughs> and sausages and hard cooked eggs and half a salted ham that Three Finger Hob had given him on his name day. You're a man who appreciates cooking, Slayer, the cook had said. We need more of your sort. So true. It's nice that Three Finger Hob is appreciating Sam's eating. What a guy. It, it's, it, it's kind of a... It's kind of a... Yeah. So I think this is when Sam's being sent to Old Town with mm. Amon and Gilly, yeah, yeah. isn't it? So these are the supplies to to last Sam. Yeah. On Ho- his Hob appreciates so. Sam for liking food, and so he gives him a shit ton of cheese, sausage, and eggs. Fantastic! How long do hard cooked eggs last in a saddlebag? Do you reckon? In a saddlebag, I don't know. I've only ever used like a a gym bag <laughs> gym. to store 800 hard-boiled eggs. There's, there's nothing, there's no gym stuff. It's just all eggs. I walk into the gym, sit down on the bench and just start fisting eggs. <laughs> yeah, it's called pre-workout. What do you do? Uh, yeah. Can I, can I bring you a egg on Targaryen in this trying time? Okay. I don't want it. Okay, all right. Cersei 2. You ready for more Cersei? Tywin's dead. Dad's dead. Uh, Cersei's going to have to deal with that. and um, It's going to be a whole thing. It's going to be a whole thing. They're going to write a whole book arc about it. And she is going to eat a simple supper of beets and bread and bloody beef with a flagon of Dornish red to wash it all down. What do you think about drinking an entire flagon of wine for breakfast? Red wine for breakfast. How do you feel about that? I think it's a complete vibe. It actually kind of reminds me of Archer. Yeah. How he would start his best days. Yeah, Cersei is like Mallory Archer if she was (laughs) dumb. Mallory Archer is sometimes very dumb. Like all the confidence, but none of the competence. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, I think I think all of the Archer characters in that show undergo this sort of flanderization and dumbification. Oh, do as we the need to talk about Archer for several hours? I'd, with, I, that would be a separate stream, probably, because mm. I have some Archer feelings. They're doing a final season, aren't they? Yes. Because I, I don't think I've seen all of like the later seasons, but the first couple of seasons were amazing. Oh, they're so good. Like maybe even the first five or so. Yeah. And it's not like the rest of it are. Terrible. Yeah, I mean... The because th- Adam Reed is a uniquely funny man. He's a very gifted writer. Is he, like, the main writer yeah, of he, Archer? Yeah, he's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just... Maybe the characters got tired, and so we saw them become these facsimiles of their selves. I mean, I think part of it was that, you know, th- th- they didn't want to be in a rut. They needed to change yeah. things up. And, and that's why, like, I, it is cool that, that the later seasons did these brave dramatic narrative changes like mm. doing the danger island and doing the dream sequence yeah. season and the and the space sci-fi season and like that that is a cool creative thing to yeah. do my feeling is that it mostly didn't work mm. um for me but it was it was creative and inventive and i like that yeah i believe um the next season is the last one yeah because um jessica walter um did pass away in recent years. Was yeah. it COVID? I can't remember. Was it some sort of... One of them diseases, what kills you. 
Yeah, one of them lurgies. Yeah, that's sad. And yeah, it's hard to imagine it without her. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, Cersei's eating a bunch of red shit. <laughs> so, so surely it's a coincidence that uh, her breakfast is full of red beets and bloody beef after the death of her father. Surely that's a coincidence. Yeah, no, it really has nothing to do with it. The curtains are blue because they were blue. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the red wine. It, it's, it's Lannister colours, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's crimson. Beets, the Lannister vegetable. It almost, you know, they, they were almost called house beat, but then they, <laughs> they thought better of it because Tommen, of course, would have been outraged. <laughs> we know how Tommen feels about beats. It, what, what, what is like the etymological situation uh, with regards to beets and beetroot? What like, do you, what do you mean? Well, are, are they the same? Are they two different words for the They're same the thing? They're the same thing. So why do, why would anyone say beetroot when we could say beet? I don't know. Why do we say beetroot? We need to stop saying beetroot. Is it is it a regional thing? Make, make I, a note. I think in a lot of the world, they are just beets. And in other parts of the world, we call them beetroot. I thought language always tended to gravitate towards brevity. And I would oh, have God, thought no. that beets... No? No. Is that why... If that were the case, we would have been done with this already. No one would say... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, burn. Someone points out in the live chat that supper is, in fact, not breakfast. Okay, that, you're right there. Uh, I stand corrected. Uh, this, this is not a breakfast meal. This is dinner. This is supper. She did not have wine for breakfast. She had it for supper. And undercooked beef. Yes. Um, Although, probably cooked beef can also... I'm not saying... Moving on. Well, we need to rate it. Do you, how do you rate beets, bread, bloody beef, and Dornish red? That actually sounds pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe something green. Yeah, I would like some greens. I also feel like it depends on the quality of the bread a yeah. lot. When I read bread in these, I typically assume, you know, supermarket, <laughs> uh, wholemeal. <laughs> yeah, but that's that, the thing, isn't it? Like, yeah. they're royalty. This is fresh-baked bread for true, them. True, true. So. But when you see it in different contexts, like Brienne at some inn, yeah. that, that might also be freshly baked. Yeah, isn't it depressing to think that medieval peasants were pr possibly eating much nicer bread than we are? <sighs> Did they thin it with sawdust to make it last longer? Yeah. If they had enough sawdust around? Well, depending on the quality of the sawdust, yeah, that true. could be a textural tour yeah, de force. Like if you're cutting maple next door. Yeah. You know, it could really add a unique note to the bread. Real tang in your sawdust. Uh, I think I think since it's beets, bread, bloody beef, I think it's a B. Nice. So then Brienne arrives at Duskendale because she's trying to find Sansa and she goes to an inn and locals filled the benches, sopping up bowls of hot crab stew with chunks of bread. And in the common room, she's drinking a cup of milk and honey with three raw eggs Ooh. mixed in. A protein shake. Oh, Brienne, <laughs> my girl. It's amazing. I love it. The protein with honey. Fantastic. Would you drink that? Um, you know what? Yeah, I'll give it a go. I'd give it a go. Yep. Yeah, I'd give it a B. And the hot crab stew with chunks <laughs> of bread. I mean, that's an that's, easy A. Yeah. or an, oh, oh, yeah, uh, I'm happy with this. I'm happy with this. Yeah. Fantastic. 
Uh, and in Cersei's next chapter, do you want to read this one? To break her fast, the queen sent to the kitchens for two boiled eggs, a loaf of bread, and a pot of honey. But when she cracked the first egg and found a bloody, half-formed chick inside, her stomach roiled. Take this away and bring me hot spiced wine, she told Sunel. Ooh. Is this a symbolism? What a weird non sequitur, George. Is this a symbolism? Is, is, this, is this Cersei's miscarriage? Is that what this is? Um, is Cersei having a miscarriage? Because I heard from a little bird that in Game of Thrones season eight, there was going to be a scene where Cersei had a miscarriage. Like at the start of season eight, episode one, she'd be in this bed of blood and it would have been like a baby that she was going to have with Jamie or whatever, but it, but it died. Um, she had a miscarriage and, and, and I thought this, you know, having a half formed chick in an egg was meant to be some kind of allusion, an allusion to that idea. Yeah, it is interesting how they never once resolve that threat. It's just like Cersei says in season seven, yo, I'm pregnant. What's up? And then that's just it. Then she, nothing happens and she dies. Yeah, one of many things that HBO doesn't bother to wrap up. Hmm. But but I guess the you know the the egg with the half formed chick is also just Cersei's plans failing, <laughs> like House Lannister failing. Um, you know King Tommen's reign, you know King Joffrey's reign failing and ending too soon, and all of that. Hmm. I'm focusing on there being two eggs. How did you boil it? Oh God, they boiled it with the with with, with the, they, they boiled it. The, oh God, yeah, yeah, it might have been alive at the time. Yikes! Ugh. At least it's cooked. Hmm. Partly. Would you eat it? No. What did you rank it? Low. I don't want it. Do, do you do you think? Okay, so she got two eggs. She yeah, cracked I'm one egg. About this. Do you think that the other egg also has a bloody half-formed chick in it? Unlikely. What if she found out? Like, what, 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 I mean, the twins, like, the eggs are twins and Jamie and Cersei are twins. Maybe that's what it is a metaphor for, is that she is the half-formed chick. She's I the was thinking about chick. her sons, Joffrey and Tommen, but that makes more sense that it's Jamie and Cersei. Cersei is, is doomed to a bloody end. But Jamie, maybe, is the egg. He has the power of rebirth and yeah. change. Because that's what the, their arcs are about in Feast and Dance. Jamie is successfully changing and rejecting Cersei. Whereas Cersei is stuck in the stagnation of trying to uh, keep their father's bowl rolling. Yeah. Cersei cannot change. She cannot be reborn. And, and of course, it's just wonderful that, you know, Cersei faces something uncomfortable and her immediate reaction is, bring me wine. <laughs> this makes me unhappy. Wine. <laughs> I'm experiencing a feeling. Give me depressives. Give me alcohol. That's Cersei's coping strategy. Mood. Mood. Um, but hey, the honey and bread sound good. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, let's call it an F, eh? Yep. Oh, it reminds me of Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. No, let's not. That's a, that's a whole <laughs> other live stream. Yeah, the half-formed chick in the egg. Um, let's move on to Aris Oakhart. Aris Oakhart, the Kingsguard knight sent to the city of Dawn to defend Marcella Baratheon. And he just ends up 
having lots of sex with the princess. Honestly, it could be worse. Um, so, Aris is having a bit of culture shock being in Dawn. It's a radically different place with radically different food. A short man stood in an arched doorway, grilling chunks of snake over a brazier, turning them with wooden tongs as they crisped. The pungent smell of his sauces brought tears to the knight's eyes. <laughs> the best snake sauce had a drop of venom in it, he had heard, along with mustard seeds and dragon peppers. Marcella had taken to Dornish food as quick as she had to her Dornish prince, and from time to time Sir Aris would try a dish or two to please her. The food seared his mouth and made him gasp for wine, and burned even worse coming out than it did going in. Thanks, George. His little princess loved it, though. <laughs> George does have a, a fair amount of... Do we need of, to do um, a poop description stream yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, because of course, you know, Daenerys yeah, The more is... she drank, the more she shat. Yeah, there's a lot of gastronomical misadventures described in these books, which I think is something that happens when a 70-year-old man writes a fantasy <laughs> epic. It's always just... oh, time to poop. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much of The Winds of Winter was written on the toilet, do you think? <laughs> Um, and of course, I do not want to think about that when I'm eating it. <laughs> I don't want it. Mm. Uh, so, of course, like the you know the venom in the food is is the danger that Aris is in, and you know Marcella can handle it, but or but but Aris can't. Well, Marcella can handle it because she has her Dornish prince. Right, she's um, taken to this place, and she has. I suppose Tristane's sort of, not really protection, but like she is um, way more important to the people in power in Dawn than Aris Okar is. Well, Aris has quite taken to his Dornish princess. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see how that goes for him. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I just like that this is basically a white guy has gone to, um, you know, somewhere where the food's all spicy and he's like, fucking hell, just give me bangers and mash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that <laughs> it happens. I think the crispy snake sounds amazing. Mm. The mustard seeds and dragon peppers. I think I think I'd die, but I would try. It. I would like it. I yeah. would die happy. Yeah. So yeah, you reckon B? B. In the Reach, men said that it was the food that made Dornish men so hot-tempered and their women <laughs> so wild and wanton. Fiery peppers and strange spices heat the blood. She cannot help herself. So there, it, you know, it directly links the nature of the food to uh, the stereotype of the impression of the culture and, and the woman. Is this why English people are boring? Yeah, too much mash. Mm. Turns your brain into mash. The turnips. Yeah. Someone in the live chat asks, how much of The Winds of Winter was written? <laughs> George actually gave us the most specific um, update that he's ever given us. In... 58%. It was more than that, I think. Yeah, it was, but like it, it was that strangely specific. Yeah, he said, quote, I think I'm about three quarters of the way done, maybe. <laughs> and he said that in October 2022. 75% done, that's good. And it only took him 11 years. And he specifically said, then in December, in December 2022, George said, 
that he has about 1,100 to 1,200 pages written, and he needs to write 400 to 500 pages more. So that's even more than 75% done, I think. And it's so specific. He's giving us the number of pages that he's written. So there's, there's your answer. Um, Maybe he gave that interview on the toilet so he had it right in front of him. <laughs> and he could see, yep, there's that many pages. <laughs> He's got like a little writing desk there. Like a typewriter that folds down <laughs> from the toilet. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, should we do some super chats? I, I think we should do some super chats. Though. Yeah, sure. Uh, Joseph says, why don't Dothraki ride cows? The milk and meat taste much better, and they would even have actual yogurt instead of the same old fermented mare milk. Hmm. It's an interesting point you bring up there, but um, the problem is that milk cows, meat cows, and riding cows are all bred separately. So you don't have the one cow that can do all the... Oh, you mean, why don't they raise cows instead of raising horses? Oh... But in a fantasy book, you could make a fictional fantasy cow that is all of those that things. That some culture in domesticated and the mega cow. And they ride these bulls into battle. If the different cows performed a fusion dance yeah, to create, they put on the Patara earrings. A Super Saiyan yeah. cow. I'm just, I'm just saying. And defeat Boo. Kiara says, "Leave capitalism out of a shy." I'm Mitch says, "Would you eat squisher meat?" I'd try it. I think the squish is more likely to eat us. I, I think that it. I think that squishes are like aliens. Like they're not even in our family tree because they're Lovecraftian monsters. So I don't think we even could like metabolize their meat. You know. I don't know they could still be carbon based. Maybe, but they might not be the same. The right kind of proteins for us to digest. Well, then it just go through you. If I ate a squisher, the, the more I eat, the more I'd shat. That would be the situation. Well, you need to shit, so. Mm. Harry says, is the real reason we won't see a shy because nothing grows there, so George can't write about chin grease? Other things can dribble down people's chins. Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, I mean, George does specify that a shy imports food, and I'm sure that includes grease, mm. so I wouldn't worry, Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got, they've got a grease connection. <laughs> they've got a whole canal for grease. <laughs> An aqueduct, the great aqueducts of Ashai bringing the grease, like in the, uh, uh, in the Simpsons, the grease, uh, Willie's grease. I, I was going to bring up Willie's grease as well. I only said it so that you didn't get to it first. Stannis- grease me up, woman. <laughs> Stannis McNuff says, what do you guys think about Harry Potter? Do, do you want five hours of Harry Potter conversation? Because that's what you're going to get. I, uh, Stannis says, I heard a theory that Hagrid is Voldemort's right hand. It's so tinfoil, I thought it was yours. This sounds like another Jar Jar is a Sith sort of thing. Do you think the wand that Hagrid had in that umbrella all those years was actually the Elder Wand yeah, all along? Be. Yeah, yeah, Confirmed. Yeah. Thanks for the super chat from Chug, who says, Brian Herbert finishes Game of Thrones. What do you think he'd do? Make a lot of money. Oh, my God. I, I I wish that it was a lot of money. I don't imagine, like, how many of those Dune sequel books can they be selling? Like, someone must be buying some, but, like, I, I, I've seen so few people say anything positive about them. It's just mm. puzzling to me that it that they keep going. Um, while, while Brian would find some extremely, like, specific lore detail, and he would take it very literally, 
and he would take it to its logical... Oh my god, that's what we do. Oh no. No, we're much more creative with it. <laughs> we're much sillier with it. Yeah, true. We're, 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 we're sillier than Brian Herbert, that's for sure. I wish Brian Herbert was more silly. I, I haven't, I haven't, I, I haven't read any of the Brian Herbert books in entirety, so I should not say mean things. Uh, AK says, how did y'all decide to start streaming together? Well, I felt that Gliders had some dragon opinions that were wrong, and I needed to straighten that out. And I thought that all of Alt Swift X's content was boring as fuck, so I thought this would be more interesting if I got involved. So We'd- it was really just for mutual benefit there. We decided to join forces to take down Alt Shift X. Yeah. Only together can we destroy him. Thanks for the super chat from Melvin Dickweed. I feel like every time. (laughs) Is Dickweed a serial super chatter? I I think so. Which character do you think would taste the best? Is it bad if I say Sam? Hmm. You'd want. I I guess we're presupposing cannibalism here, unless we can think of some non-human characters. You want a character that's like free-range, spent a lot of time outdoors, (laughs) uh, someone who's got like a good diet. Um, you know, Jamie. Jamie. Yeah. What? Well, pre-imprisonment. Yeah. 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 Pre. Yeah. Robert's Rebellion era. Uh, John would taste like. Sadness. Teenage hormones and <laughs> yeah. sadness. Yeah, t- teen spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Tastes like axe body spray. <laughs> oh, Robert mid rebellion, or maybe pre rebellion because he's all stressed out and that does things to meat. Yeah, I mean, do you want an ultra muscular animal to eat? Um, or do you want one that's a bit more veined and marbled with fat? Well, that depends on your tastes, I guess. Yeah. Well, if because we want if, if we you... want grease running down our chins, we're not going to get a lot of grease out of Robert's Rebellion. Mm, and that's era what you Robert. want Sam for. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, Zoe Schmish <laughs> says, um, "Theory: The mysterious house with the lemon tree is not in Bravos or with the Martells, but in Starfall. Climate and mystery of how Stain adds to the, aids to this." That that sounds dangerously close to something that would support um, uh, John being the son, or Daenerys being the son of Ned and Ashara, or something like that. Or Brandon and Ashara. Yeah, Brandon or Ashara. Because um, if Daenerys was at Starfall, like, what is the Starfall Daenerys connection? You know, uh, what, what if what what if Daenerys is Wyla's daughter? What would the fucking point of that be? <laughs> Look, I'm just... This is how these theories why, go. Why is she blonde? Why is she platinum blonde? Why does she have the Valyrian net? Was Is Wyler a secret Targaryen? Well, there are blondes who aren't Targaryen. Yeah, well, but, like, there's Targaryen blonde and then there's normal blonde. Yeah, all right. All right. A Lysine pirate... Okay. ...hooked up with Wyler, and oh, then... Also, it has nothing to do with Ned. Well, no, Ned was at Starfall. He sa- he says he was at Starfall. So okay. Ned took baby. And we know that Wyla was the wet nurse from um, 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 um Edric Dane. That's right. She was pretending to be the wet nurse when she was actually the mother of Daenerys. Uh, and then they swapped the real Daenerys. <laughs> and the and the real Daenerys is John because as it because John maybe. Because no, because there's no think, proof that the real <laughs> there's no proof that the real Daenerys is female. Maybe the real she Daenerys sex with- is actually... <laughs> oh, no, but that's Wyla's daughter. That's an unrelated oh. bastard. Like, the real actual child of Rayla Targaryen is Jon Snow. Is male. 
Next super chat, Smith Black says you should rate Gurm's sex scene descriptions. Beef swelling. Are you familiar? Beef swelling is a Dune bad writing uh, meme. Beef swelling is to Dune what fat pink mast yeah, yeah, yeah. is to Song of Ice and Fire. It would be really fun to do like a top 10 cringy sex lines in famous classic genre fiction series. I think that would be fun. Don't, like, don't you have a series on comparing Frank and George to finish? Don't get, get on my back about that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm going to get let's, right let's, to that. Let's not bring up unfinished series around here. Yeah, you, you don't throw stones in that particular glass house. There's a lot of... Uh, there's uh, Yeah. Um, I would love to, to continue that Frank-George thing, though. Janik says, posture check. What? That goes for you all, too. Yeah. All 889 of you. Eight. Why haven't you all pressed the like button? Yeah, smash that like button. Uh, Janik says, will we see more of a shy in the main series? What role do you think it will play? Thoughts on the Gnome the Chomsky, gnome Chomsky situation? situation? Bro. Do you, <laughs> do, you, do you think Janik might be the first person ever to seamlessly segue <laughs> from a shy to Gnome Chomsky? Like, 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 how many Wikipedia degrees of separation are there between a shy and Noam Chomsky? I love it. Um, well, answering your question, um, I don't think that we'll see a shy or that it will play a role, personally. As George has said, we may only see it through flashback and dream. I think that the the main thing a shy might do is we might get more Melisandre flashbacks to her childhood in a shy. Mm-hmm. Um... We might learn things about Melisandre through that. And, like, Quaith might tell us about Ashai through, like, Dr- Daenerys' dreams. Quaith might enter Daenerys' dreams. And, like, if you, if you know, I, I know that Gladys loves hearing about the Bloodstone Emperor, but, you know, if it is that the Great Empire of the Dawn and the Bloodstone Emperor and Azor Ahai tie, like, if that mythos is related to the events in the future books about defeating the White Walkers and the Prince that was promised, then then maybe, like, Quaith talking about Ashai and the Great Empire of the Dawn might tie into that indirectly, but I think basically George hasn't got any goddamn time for that, like... Mm. There's so much. There's so much stuff that's happening in the cities that aren't on the opposite side of the world from yeah, where yeah. all the characters are. I think what might happen is we'll. This isn't even a shy. This is. I'm thinking about the five forts of VT. Um, as the White Walkers continue to descend south into Westeros, we might hear a distant, far off report of something similar happening on the other side of the world. That could be fun. Yeah, that's a good point because there is that suspicious five forts that are a lot like the wall. Hmm. But, but I mean, Ashai is quite far away from... Yeah, I was only saying that as, like, a reference of what, what I think we might hear of these very, very distant places going part, forward. Yeah. A part of me does still hold out hope that the Five Forts might be the wall. And that, you know, when John, as the last hero, travels far beyond the wall to go to the Heart of okay. Winter, he might find that the Heart of Winter is, in fact, Ashai. That's a bit fucky-wucky. It's a bit fucky-wucky, but, like, the world is round, my dude. And, like, yes, George Martin did once say that Westeros and Essos aren't connected, but he said that years before the lands of Ice and Fire maps were made and years before the world of Ice and Fire lore was made and years before he came up with the Five Forts. So I think it's possible that that world is connected and that it might loop together and 
I don't know what I, I don't know what that would achieve. That really, <laughs> it'd be cool. But I, I, I don't so, know. Are, are the wildlings the people who live in the the grey wastes beyond ET? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I mean, I mean, maybe because like they talk about like the Shrikes and they talk about the Bone Town. I, I think that Bone Town might be that cave where John and Ygritte were that one time. Nice. But but there are wildling cultures that have like the the painted faces and the cave dwellers, like the wildling cave dwellers. Like like they talk about all these really weird wildling cultures that exist. Those weird wildling cultures might be the Shrikes and the monsters and the Bone folks. I mean, Bone Town. There are walrus bone wildling societies that build chariots out of walrus bone. Yeah, and we know about the Lord of Bones. We know about great point. He yeah, is the Lord of Bone Town. We know about the Lord of Bones. <laughs> maybe the Lord of Bone. Maybe Bone Town <laughs> is just wherever the Lord of Bones is at that specific point in time. It's just Rattleshirt's Love Shack, <laughs> and like that, they call it Bone Town. Like Bone Town. Are we writing this down? <laughs> well, I wonder what would happen if you did just look at Essos, you know, you tilt it 90 degrees, does it match up at all with the... Ge- no, I don't think the geography would be... Because it's all but, supposed to be distant, far off. Yeah, jo- jo- George said, it's all here be dragons, it's not meant to be accurate. Yeah. But but, but I mean, there absolutely are lo- lots of stuff that adds up. Like, the, the forests of... Is it Morvos? The, the forests of... Mosovy? Mosovy, yeah. Which is, like, Moscow. Um, but, but the forests of Moscovy, they talk about like necromancers and shapeshifters in those woods and like shapeshifters and necromancers. It sounds like, uh, and wargs. skin, sh- yeah, skin changes and, and whites and stuff. Yep. So like, I, I think George is deliberately creating. Yeah, if they're not the same place physically, they are the same place, um, yeah, like thematically. And that's the problem with books. Like everything is metaphorically connected. So, just because things are metaphorically connected doesn't mean that they are literally, like, plot connected. Hmm. Um, that's one of the differences between fiction and reality that I need to remind myself of sometimes. Because in reality, when there are, like, suspicious coincidences, you can sometimes assume that that's evidence that they are actually connected. But in fiction, there's always funny coincidences and parallels because it, it's fiction and because the author is... Are you saying that when you notice two things aligning in the real world... Do that. You can be a conspiracy theorist, but when you do that in fiction, you're being silly, well, and yeah. you just need to think of it thematic. I, I, I think it's the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I think I did sort of say <laughs> I that. I think backwards. you're endorsing people to be conspiracy theorists in the real world. <laughs> yeah. No. Sorry. You're right. Yeah. What? I, yeah. I guess what I do mean is there are coincidences in the mean in the real world that mean nothing, whereas in fiction, when there are coincidences, it's crafted. Yeah, the that, author intentionally put that coincidence there. Yeah, because the difference between fiction and reality most of the time is that reality doesn't have an Illuminati master god designer creator who who designed everything and everything's part of a plan. That's not true of reality, but it is true of fiction because fiction does have it, a creator. It is made by one mastermind guy. Yeah, who's writing this all down on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> What if that's God? It's just like Macumba sitting on a toilet somewhere, right, right, weaving our fates. Writing down this live stream as we speak. See, if there was a God, he never would have ordained this. So, I think that's the ultimate argument for, uh, yeah. Um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> um, thoughts on the Noam Chomsky situation? I'll, I'll let you handle that one. Um, he has a funny name. There you go. Uh, my my thoughts on the Noam Chomsky situation are watch the uh, on the YouTube channel 
My God, he's actually answering it. Uh, Juice Media. Watch the Juice Rap News episode that features Noam Chomsky. Ah. Um, which I think is the episode about the New World Order, which also has some incredible rap verses um, from Terence Moonseed. So I think everything you need to know about Noam Chomsky, you will, it's all there for you you. will learn in that video. John Patelshik says, My father did eat a crow when he lived in Australia as kid. He said it wasn't bad. Um, I don't think I've ever had a passerine. It could be good. Don't just say passerine as though that's not a uh, humble brag. COVID. What, what's a passerine? It's a songbird. A songbird? Yeah, which um, is the overwhelming majority of bird species. Hmm. Maybe I have. Um, you want to know how to cook a galah? How do you cook a galah? All right, here's how you cook a galah. You start a fire, put a couple of rocks on the fire, then chuck the galah on top. When the rocks are soft, you can eat the galah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you eat the rocks? Give it a shot. No. Fuck. <laughs> I meant to press it. There we go. I wanted those elephants. <laughs> Thanks for the super chat from James and from Mikey Fake Name, who says, Hey, Swift and Clybo, currently re-watching the show with a bro who's never seen it. Got me wondering, was there a change from the books that you two actually like more in the show? Ooh. I, I, my my go-to answer with this is that the scene with Robert and Cersei, where they talk about their relationship and and their regrets, and Cersei saying, you know, was it ever was it ever possible for us to be in love truly? And Robert says, no. Like that, I thought that was such a it's a great scene, incredible scene. I also really like the show only scene where Jorah confronts Viserys as he's stealing the dragon eggs on his way out of Veyas Dothrak. That is one of your all-time favourite scenes. It's such a good scene. It's so fucking good. I just love when the actors just get out there and they just act at each other, yeah. you know? They just act their pants off at each other. It's fantastic. <laughs> I love to watch that. Actors. Who would have thought they're good at acting? But those aren't really changes. They're more additions, which I guess are changes. You can't really add to something without altering it. But um, it's not what I would consider... You know, we've taken something and morphed it, and here it is again, but different. Are, are there any, like, actual changes to things that are presented in the books that you prefer? I've got one. Yeah. Yeah, tell me. Um, Baylor. The episode. N- yeah. Ned spots Arya. Yeah. And points, him out, po- points her out to Yorin. So, basically, Ned saves Arya. In the yeah. show, that doesn't happen in the book, and that's subtle. Yeah, and it just and it, and it just gives that extra fucking gut punch and that extra emotional connection for Arya. Mm. And like Ned's final two acts are to point out where Arya is to Yorin, saving Arya, and to like falsely confess to treason, saving Sansa. Yeah, I, I think similarly in. Season three, there's some good conversations with Ygritte and John that are just wonderful because because Kit Harrington and Rosa Leslie There's are obviously chemistry. just huge chemistry, having a huge deeply amount of fun, deeply just going for it, and it's just a joy to watch, and it and it creates going more to bone town. more characterization and more weight in that relationship. But yeah, again, like it's it's not a dramatic change; it's more of a yeah, just a, an addition. It's just fleshing stuff out more. Uh, Bao in the live chat says that I love show Marjorie much more, and and yeah, I think that's I think that's a good example because because like in the book Marjorie does not have much agency. We don't really know how much mm. Marjorie is involved in the Tyrell plots in a lot of ways, 
Like, she's only, like, 16 or something. She's very young in the books. Whereas in the show, she's an actual, like, active political player. Yeah. And I think that works. I think that's good. Able to engage with Cersei in snarkiness. Um, Cersei in the books thinks that Marjorie is engaging with her in snarkiness, but is she? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of one of the biggest consequences of, like, that, that change in the show, making Marjorie an actual active player. Yeah, it, it gives a reason and validity yeah. to Cersei's paranoia, whereas in the book, it's like, this is a little kid that you're scheming against, Cersei. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Cersei is a lot more delusional in the book, whereas in the show, she kind of has Again, some we, grounds. we talked about this earlier, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're gaslighting me in a conversation about yeah. delusion. That's, uh... No, we did talk about it earlier. You're gaslighting me. Am I? Yeah, we talked about earlier how Cersei is more grounded in this show because she's a cartoonish villain in The Feast for Crows, which uh, is the book we're talking about the food descriptions of in this live stream. I think I just gaslighted myself. I, th- I think I said in a prior live stream that the only person capable of of <laughs> tricking themselves is Cersei Lannister, and I guess mm. we can add Alt Shift X to that list. Thank you... Uh, for the super chat from Vali, who says, hello, Top Shagger Swift and Horseman Gligo. Are you the Top Shagger? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I won some trophies in my local province as a, as a younger man. And uh, yeah. Good for you. Thanks for the super chat from Queen of Brugvenampt, <laughs> who says, did you want to have a go at that word? That's a lot more convincing. Been rereading A Song of Ice and Fire these past months, and there hasn't been a greasy chin that I haven't read with your voices in my head. Here's to celebrate the first life I managed to catch. Nice. Welcome, your grace. Thanks for the super chat from Storm's End Reactor Operator. That's good. That's a good one. <laughs> Who says prime working hours here in Imagine, Europe. Imagine, no, no, it is a nuclear plant, but Homer Simpson is the safety inspector. I was gonna <laughs> say, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the light on the map marked Ashai starts blinking, <laughs> and, and then Grimes comes in, and it's, uh, who's the Castellan of Storm's End? Oh, um, Courtney Penrose yeah. comes in, and he's Grimesy. <laughs> he happened to like whores. Uh, thanks for doing these. Have a beer on me. Thank you, Storms. Thank you, Kirk Novak, who says fermented milk is delicious. I'm Polish and we drink it a lot. Can you do like homemade or do you do or, or do you buy it in shops? I think you can ferment milk at home. Thanks for the super chat from Spencer Crow, who says thanks to Swift for the abridged videos. I switched to the audiobooks from where they leave off and now I'm almost done feast. Cheers. One day there will be a way to consume all of A Song of Ice and Fire through your bullshit abridged series. I cannot imagine something more existentially... uh... It's like, people tell me that they consume the latter half of Game of Thrones through my videos, and it's like... What a what a I mean, that you're not like, losing much. But. Yeah, that sounds like a lot more fun if you ask me. <laughs> Thanks for the super chat from MHMD, who says, "Why do they call it Robert's Rupert Rebellion and call him king? He just killed Rhaegar, the girl whom was kidnapped, and the father and brother whom were killed are Stark. It should be the Stark Rebellion." Well, looking back on it um, as a historical event in the future, Robert becomes the king afterwards. And it was, like, through his rage against Rhaegar that a lot of, you know, the motivation for the war came from. So, Robert's Rebellion. 
Yeah, history's written by the victors, and Robert, Robert was won. the victor. Yeah. You Ma- could just as easily call it the Aaron Rebellion. If Jamie didn't get off that chair when Ned found him on the Iron Throne, maybe it would have been called Jamie's Rebellion. Because Jamie was the heroic knight who killed the evil King Ares, so maybe Jamie's mm. the real hero of the story. If the Lannisters really put their foot down. You know, if they held on to King's Landing after the sack, maybe it would have been Jamie's rebellion. Or if Ned took the throne, maybe it would have been Ned's rebellion. And if Wyla got onto the throne. <laughs> Here's the real answer. Alliteration. It's called Robert's Rebellion because it's alliterative. It rolls off the rung. Dirt Person says, you haven't lived until you've eaten squirrel. No irony. It's delicious. I haven't even seen a squirrel. Really? They don't hang out where I hang out. Thanks for the super chat from Joshua, who says, Iron cups, like iron skillets, increase iron in blood, which is essential to hemoglobin's oxygen-carrying capacity. Do you think that the Norvosi are otherwise lacking in oxygen? Uh, iron, in hemoglobin iron content? Yeah, if they don't eat enough cups, they asphyxiate. Are you supposed to eat the cup after you drink the NASA? Crunch, crunch, crunch. <laughs> The NASA is really just to help the cup go down. <laughs> it lubricates the cup so you can eat it. <laughs> uh, I think I think that's perfect logic. And since uh, trees are tall, if I eat more trees, I will grow taller. Ooh. Some trees aren't tall. But yeah, well, don't eat the small ones. Oh, or you'll shrink. So we're eating redwoods. Um, yes. Mountain ash. Yes. No bonsais. Thanks for the super chat from Andre and from Fleurde, who says, Hi, Mr. X and Glumbo. Would love to know if George describes the food that he orders at restaurant like he does in the books. I would hope so. Yeah, he's got to be doing something these this past decade. I hope they have a lot of um, serviettes where George eats. A lot of napkins. For him to write down his descriptions. No, for him to, to wipe, wipe up, up his greasy grease. chin. <laughs> Shall we do a food description? Let us continue with the meat of today's project <laughs> and carbs. We're in Samwell 2 now, uh, where, as you've so politely noted, sailing south with Gilly on blackboard, blackboard. And Amon. Amon is there as well, Mr. Amon. <clears throat> Sam says of the food in Bravos, because they land in Bravos around here. Oh, they're about to land in Bravos, isn't that right? The food is very good too, especially the fish. They have all kinds of clams and eels and oysters fresh from their lagoon. I only eat it fresh from the lagoon. <laughs> if it's not fished up from the lagoon today, I won't have it. If it's not from a lagoon, um, it's, it's not lagoon. No, that was quite bad. It wasn't that good, yeah. Not so good. Uh, uh, the clams and the eels and the oysters evoke the oysters, clams and cockles. Oysters, clams and cockles. That uh, Aya be selling in her on her grind, on her nine to five grind, on her hustle, <laughs> seafood hustle. Have you ever done the seafood hustle? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't look it up on Urban Dictionary though. Um, I think that sounds tasty. It's just a bunch of seafood, yeah. Just a bunch of seafood. Well, S is for seafood, but I wouldn't call it S. It's just like yeah, pr- I wouldn't pretty give it good, S. maybe yeah. A or B. Yeah, it, it's a little nondescript. Yeah, let's yeah. give it a B. 
The motion of the boat was stirring up the eggs and bacon and fried bread that Sam had eaten before the ship set out. All at once, he could not stand the cabin one more instant. He pushed himself back to his feet and clambered up the ladder to give his breakfast to the sea. (laughs) The sickness came on Sam so strongly that he did not stop to gauge which way the wind was blowing. So he retched from the wrong rail and ended up spattering himself. You're right what you know, George. Yes. Gave his breakfast to the sea. It sounds like an ironborn ritual. That's why they get so drunk (laughs) that the next day they can return it to the sea. I feel like George finds such poetic ways of saying gross things. Mm. Like, even when he's describing something gross, he can't help but do it in, like, a lovely poetic way. What do we think of this food description? Well, it sounded great before it was eaten. Well, here, the, the thing is, eggs, bacon, and fried bread, sure. But the sentence starts with the motion of the boat was stirring. So it's already off to it. Like, I never once expected this to be a pleasant experience. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, the context tells mm. you that this is a bad eggs and bacon situation. Which is rare, but potent. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I mean... He uh, gets covered in his own vomit. Yeah, he gets covered in his own vomit. Maybe this is an F. Yeah, it could... Yeah, that's... That's, like, salty it. as well, because of yeah. the sea. Yeah. Sea salt, bile, not a great... Like, like the palate just doesn't really mix. And, he, and Sam probably hasn't even got a toothbrush to, like, clean himself up either. Did Hop so. give him... No, well, he could just wash his teeth with some of that cheese. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh... They ate oaten porridge in the mornings, peas porridge in the afternoons, and salt beef, salt cod, and salt mutton at night, and washed it down with ale. There's nothing worse than salty food when you've already had too much salt. Mm. Yeah. Why don't they combine the oaten porridge and the peas porridge? That sounds terrible. But then it would at least be like texturally interesting a bit of heterogeneity in your meal there (laughs) i think it's because you know it's there to like pace out the different meals because if you have the same mix of oaten and peas and porridge like every time then each of those meals is the same life becomes monotonous and you're driven to isolation my goodness why don't you just put the salt cod and the salt mutton and the salt beef in, in the oaten porridge yeah, yeah 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 like i feel like if you combine it into one good meal instead of individual bad meals like i feel like combining it's right fun. here's what you do sam get the blender <laughs> will it blend <laughs> don't breathe this yeah th- this is an easy e the boy needs a bit of seasoning that's all his father had told Lord Redwine that night. But Redwine's fool rattled his rattle and replied, Aye, a pinch of pepper, a few nice cloves, and an apple in his mouth. Thereafter, Lord Randall forbade Sam to eat apples. Sorry, are we, are we ranking Sam as food here? Yes, that is correct. The, the food description I mean, that we... We, are, we already discussed this. We did discuss whether we would eat Sam, yeah. And honestly... Redwine's fool has just uh, gussied him up a little bit. He's sold it to us. Pinch of pepper, cloves, apple. Okay, so we're discussing cannibalism here, but... Yes. A couple of apples, some cloves, pepper. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a C. <laughs> Fucking 
fucking hell. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying it's I don't great. I want to eat another Yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not pro-cannibalism, but, like, apples are healthy, so what do you want me to do? Pass on the guy. What am I supposed to do? You've left me with no option. Nagger's Cradle. That's a good place. That's where the Ironborn uh, party and hold their democratic elections. Yeah. And so Victarion feasts the Ironborn. Because every good political campaign needs to begin with, you know, pressing the flesh, meeting the people, shaking some babies and kissing some hands. Yeah. Is that, is that how it goes? Um, so Victarion feasts the Ironborn captains on roast kid, salted cod and lobster. Aeron came as well. He ate fish and drank water, while the captains quaffed enough ale to float the Iron Fleet. I like that expression. Again, very poetic for yeah. very mundane things. He ate fish and drank water. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, isn't that wonderful? Because even, like... The, the the part of the sentence that is about Aaron's sparse and spare and ascetic 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 mm-hmm. lifestyle is itself a sparse and spare yeah. sentence and simple language and and sentence. And then structure. the next part of the sentence is like notably flowery, quaffed quaffed enough ale to float the Iron Fleet. Like it, it's a it's a metaphor as well. Like. It, what a stark difference in the ones that... That's wonderful writing. I think George is good that's at writing. good prose. What a fucking madman. I guess you only have to write for 50 years before you get good well, at it. Best like get that. on it. Yeah, but... but I'm, I may have already. Been writing for 50 years. Might have done. You don't know. All right, what do we think? Roast kid. So, young goats. Really, I mean, goat and goat and fish and lobster is an odd combination. It is, I've but never... all of those things are like good. It's a lot of protein and not much else. These are these are iron men. <laughs> these are the captains of the iron fleet. Uh, uh. I, I mean, the lobster would be good, and the, I mean, and the ale. Like it'd all go down it good just with sounds the ale. Fine. Yeah. B. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a B. I think B. it's a B. So in the Queen Maker, Ariane Martel, daughter of Doran Martel, uh, kidnaps Princess Marcella and has a harebrained scheme to crown Marcella as Queen of Westeros in order to deliberately start a war. How could this go wrong? And if you think that Ariane sounds like an absolute YOLO uh, <laughs> uh, wizard, she is. She sure is. But what is there to eat, Glidus? We have dates and cheese and olives and lemon sweet to drink. And then after that, Marcella split an orange with spotted silver, whilst Garen ate olives and spit the stones at Dre. Um, well, that all sounds quite nice, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I guess part of the context is that Ariane is trying to make this a fun, tasty picnic for Marcella. Yep. So that Marcella doesn't feel like she's being kidnapped. <laughs> It's an important part of the kidnapping process is tricking your victim into thinking they're not being kidnapped. Yeah, that's why you got to bring lemonade. <laughs> um, dates and cheese and olives and lemonade and orange. That sounds great. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. I'll give that an A. Yep. But then... There's a dark turn. Mm. If you thought George was going to go three chapters without puking, <laughs> you're wrong. She found herself on her hands and feet in the sand, shaking and sobbing and retching up her supper. Ugh. Um. 
I don't want it. I'm trying to remember what what actually um, precipitates that puking and precipitates in hindsight is an interesting choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So this is actually the moment where um, the plot gets foiled and Aris Okart gets killed by Ario Hota. Yeah. So that's why she pukes. All that sweet, tasty, nice stuff that she concocted all comes turning into a disaster. Um, didn't Tyrion also vomit up his breakfast when his champion, Oberyn Martell, uh, was killed in his valiant effort? He sure did. Hmm. A lot of puking. Puking is an emotional response. Like, no one pukes just because of food poisoning in this series. No. It's all because of, of feelings. What is puking but the body saying, I don't want it? Well, no, I, I think that George is someone to whom food is lust for life and, yeah, and, yeah. And, and joy and nourishment and family and is everything good. And that's why puking, giving up the food is... A rejection of all those wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Arya, goodness. What are you doing? Well, we're at the house of black and white, the house of something or other. Um, she got along well enough with the cook. Uma would slap a knife into her hand and point at an onion, and I would chop it. Uh, Uma would shove her toward a mound of dough, and I would knead it until the cook said stop, which was the first Bravosi word, uh, word she learned. Did you make that note? No, no, that's in the in the book in parentheses. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of a yeah. That, that George doesn't normally do parentheses like yeah, that, it, but um, yeah, this he feels did. like a scribbled in note. I think normally he would use, like, an N, M dash or an N dash or yeah. a separate sentence. It's weird to put it in the same huh. sentence in brackets like that. It almost feels like it's a something he wrote in the margin that, like, just didn't get incorporated. This is very strange. Uma would f- hand her a fish and Arya would bone it and fillet it and roll it in the nuts she was crushing. The brackish waters that surrounded Bravos teemed with fish and shellfish of every sort, the kindly man explained. A slow brown river entered the lagoon from the south, wandering through a wide expanse of reeds, tidal pools, and mudflats. Clams and cockles abounded hereabouts, mussels and muskfish, frogs and turtles, mud crabs and leopard crabs and climber crabs, red eels, black eels, striped eels, lampreys and oysters, all made frequent appearances on the carved wooden table where the servants of the many-faced god took their meals. Some nights Uma spiced the fish with sea salt and cracked peppercorns, or cooked the eels with chopped garlic. Once in a great while, the cook would even use some saffron. Yum. Yum-o. Seafood feast. Isn't it ironic that the place of death has such great food? That kind of shits in the face of what you were just talking about, doesn't it? About... (laughs) About food being lust for life. Yeah, but this is the house of black and white, my dude. Yeah, there's black and white here. It's the place of death and and life. life. Mm. And of course, when we eat food, are we not eating the dead? Sometimes. Those crabs and eels, those those are not live crabs and eels. Unless. If you're eating meat, you're eating death. Except for the octopus that one time. Ah, you you did the old... uh, old I didn't do that. Live octopus trick. I don't want to do that. Just just as a prank. (laughs) It's a prank, bro. Um, yeah, I, I think George is doing a life and death duality sort of a thing here. Yeah, this sounds wonderful. Yeah. Red, For a death cult. 
Well, it's, 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 it's homely. You know, it's a homely death cult. Yeah. Would you eat all of that? Oh, maybe not all of it. Frogs and turtles? I feel like I might be a bit overwhelmed by how much. Yeah, I couldn't eat all of it. Yeah. What's a leopard crab? Is that a real thing? Yeah, I like how he combines real things with made-up things. There's a, there's a mud crab in there. Yeah. Those are real, I think. I, th- I think so. In Tamriel. <laughs> the eels in chopped garlic sound great. So, yeah, all of this food sounds wonderful, but then afterwards, uh, there's the small fact that this place is a death cult where people go to commit suicide. Oh, they are real. Um, and what? Mud crabs? <laughs> Leopard crabs. And, and so it's explained that the dead men's clothes and coins and valuables went into a bin for sorting. Their cold flesh would be taken to the lower sanctum where only the priests could go. What happened in there, Arya was not allowed to know. Once, as she was eating her supper, a terrible suspicion seized hold of her, and she put down the knife and stared suspiciously at a slice of pale white meat. The kindly man saw the horror on her face. It is pork, child, he told her. Only pork. Doop-dee-doop-dee-doo. What do you think they do with all the corpses in the House of Black and White? Yep. <laughs> Pass. Yeah. F. <laughs> do, do you want to do a lightning round of Super Chats? Yes. <laughs> um, Patrick Mitchell says, As fellow Aussies, do you remember those flavour straws you drink milk with? Milk magic. So I ask, what food description would turn into a, one of those milk magic straws? Um, I think I remember those. Like a chocolate flavoured straw that you drink your carton of milk with. I suppose George would want you to drink... Uh, grease through a straw mm. and it would become flavoured grease I would love to read George describing fairy bread <laughs> he would describe every colour <laughs> of the hundreds and thousands Ooh, and individually red and orange and pink and green and <laughs> some were even indigo he would say no they were the colour of lapis lazuli and, and rubies and the Topaz sun glinting in the sunset of yes. <laughs> this is sprinkles on a piece of white bread <laughs> sky blue and the leaf green and the silvery shining Thanks for the super chat from Maria, who says, Thanks for the great content with the best sidetracks and random thoughts here and there among the insightful commentary. What what could you possibly mean by sidetracks and random thoughts? Is Maria talking about a different live stream? Must be. Must have mistakenly talking to some other live stream that has insightful (laughs) commentary on it. Thank you to Pizza Priest, who says Glimbus and Swifty. Swifty and Glimbus. Thank you, Elliot, who says, Hey, Glork and (laughs) Shaft. We're renaming everything now. <laughs> Clock and shot. <laughs> Who in A Song of Ice and Fire would you most and least like to organise a surprise name day feast for? Oh, I'm I'm organising the feast for their name day? Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, I, I would love to organise a surprise name day feast for Aya Stark because she is precious and deserves the best in That's the world. That's true. But I guarantee that as soon as we all shout surprise, um, Arya would be startled and would put needle through my heart. Yeah, someone's face is getting stabbed in that situation. Yeah, like she's already done that with yeah, yeah. with the with the stable boy in the Red Keep. So um, so yeah, that might not go so well. I think Sam Tarly would be great to organise a feast for because it's basically you just name a bunch of foods and he's there for it. I think he would feel uncomfortable with being the centre of attention. 
He's so Unle- unless he knew the people there cared for him. Yeah, it would need to be like a, a, a small, small and gathering. safe and intimate yeah. gathering for Sam Tarly. He's so nervous in the books. Like the show didn't really do it, but in the sh- yeah. in, in the in the books, he's constantly s- 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 stammering and s- s- stuttering and oh, I'm so f- f- frightened. Hmm. Which who, are- who would be the easiest to plan a feast for? Tyrion would be impossible because he would find out. He would figure it out. Yeah. It wouldn't be a surprise to him. And, and he, also, he has high standards. He'd gloat to you about how he figured it out. He, no, Tyrion would plot a rival <laughs> a surprise party. Like, you would try to go surprise, but he wouldn't be there. And then he'd surprise you with his own surprise feast. And he'd make some witty comment about it and how he, <laughs> only he could surprise himself with such fine dining or something, something ridiculous. Prick. Let's organise a surprise name D feast for George Martin. Let's do that. Okay. It'll just it'll we'll just pour a bucket of grease on him like the Nickelodeon slime awards. September twentieth. Can we get to Santa Fe by t- September twentieth? Well, that's an interesting idea. Hmm. Thanks for the super chat from Pain Causing Samurai, who says annoyed they didn't follow the alliteration: beets and bread and bloody beef and barley beer. Bouncing balls betwixt the bewilderment of the bell of the ball. Beans. Thank you. Uh, It's beans. It's beans. Thanks for the donation from Storm's End Reactor Operator, who says plus one for doing a multi-hour Archer stream. It would be fun to do like a retrospective on Archer. Yeah, once the whole thing's done. Because I feel like we have sort of different perspectives on Archer, and I feel like... I like there's good bits, there's bad bits, there's bi- there's things that I'd like to revisit about it. Maybe we could discuss it through the veneer of ranking the seasons. Ooh, because we f- we always have to provide some stupid framework for our discussions, don't we? As as if we need to give ourselves permission to just <laughs> right? talk about the thing. Anyway, um, this food description. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sabino says. If you killed a dragon and wanted to eat it, do you think its meat would need to be cooked, or is it a pre-cooked situation? That's a fantastic question. Um, it, it depends entirely on how the dragon's fire is. So, um, in A Song of Ice and Fire, dragons are said to be fire-made flesh. Mm. So I think their meat being cooked already makes sense. I, I think they are hot. But, but, I mean, if the meat was cooked, their muscles wouldn't function. Like, like, like mm. cooking is, like, damage to the cells, That's right? That's true. That's true. So, I, I don't think they could be cooked, but they have been exposed to heat. So, so I think that dragons are made of flesh that that is well, not... Well, here's the thing. If the flesh is hot all the time, is it bacteria-resistant? Oh, yeah, yeah. And therefore, do you even have to cook it? Interesting. You can eat it like like, like salmon or... Yeah. Yeah. Or chicken. It would be like the finest... <laughs> <laughs> people people listen to what we say, Gladys. Oh, we sorry, cannot um, go and tell do people... Do not eat raw chicken. <laughs> Public health announcement. But dragon A-OK. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, we, you have our personal guarantee that if you eat dragon, you will not get salmonella poisoning. Thank you, Brinlin321, who says, Vibing with Aris after my Vindaloo last night. Help. <laughs> if you... Oh, yeah. yeah you're well, writing the winds of winter, <laughs> yeah, are you? That's right. <laughs> that's what I'm going to say next time I need to take a dump. I just need to go write a few POV chapters. Be right back. 
Sir Bob Muscles <laughs> says, Hello, Sir Alt Swift XXX underscore Glidus underscore XXX. Would you consider playing one of the A Song of Ice and Fire slash Game of Thrones mods for Mount and Blade Bannerlord? A CK3 co-op would be good too. Um, have you played any Mountain Blade? Is that the third-person, like, fighting sword? It's a, it's a knightly game where you're a knightly person and go about doing knightly things. It, it, it's like an action thing, not yeah. like an... Yeah, I, I think I've seen something like it. I've heard that the mod for it is very, very, very good. I have not played it. Uh, have you played a Valheim? Is that what it's called? It's like a third-person medieval fighting warriors thing. I also have not played that. Yeah. I spent too long playing Fable. <laughs> Thanks for the super chat from Matt. Oh, um, CK3 co-op would be great. Yes. Yeah. I'd we'll, like we'll, to do that. We'll, especially we'll considering that, that you have no idea how the game works. Yeah, I have not played Crusader Kings. I, I mean, I, I made one attempt ages ago. Uh, I pressed the buttons. I, I can't tell you what they did, but I did press the buttons. Thanks for the super chat from Matt Lentini, who says, Hello, Schleidus and Glyft. If Adam is secretly Lenor, does that mean Alan is Sir Carl Corrie? You'll both rock like Camp Rock. Well, thank you. Um, I really hope that, not, that none of this is true. Yeah, so Lenor is the fella, the son of Corlys, who decided to rowboat Gulliman his way out of Westeros um, in House of the Dragon season one. Indeed. And, and his gay boyfriend, Carl Corey. Carl Corey. Yeah. Oh, no. Are they... Oh, and Adam and Alan are brothers, aren't they? Yes. What? What do you... Come on, Matt Lentini. You're better than what this. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Do we really need more incest in this show? Um, because the, the theory is sort of mild spoilers. I mean, you should explain this. You, you're making hot should D videos. Should I? Am I? I think so. You said. Because Adam is a guy who is... Supposedly the son of Lenor, but, but also supposedly the son of Corlys. Yeah, and is probably actually the son of Corlys. And some people are saying that in the TV show, Adam will just be played by the actor who played Lenor. He'll yeah, just yeah. be like, "I'm back, but it's not me. I'm a different guy. I'm not Lenor. My name's Adam." And I guess Carl can say, "I'm not Carl. I'm Sir Alan." But then, if they're secretly boning, they're like boyfriends who are pretending to be brothers. I don't know why you'd pretend to be... I mean, I guess it's to save face from Corlys, um pretending to be the, the bastard son of a very, very gay man. I, I guess there's a twisted logic to it. Like, if you're trying to find an excuse to be able to stay together... Yeah. Pretending to be brothers might be a way to... Yeah, I guess. ...do that. But, um, yeah, it sounds like an awful fanfic. Yeah, I, I just hope they're different characters... Don't we have an actor for one of them already? Yeah, I, I find it confusing that this particular theory is such a popular meme. I don't really know why. I, I mean, I think part of it is it because it, Lenor surviving and rowboating away is a change from the books, yep. as, you know, as far as we know. Um, and the complication is that Lenor's dragon, Sea Smoke, is still alive. So how can anyone else claim Sea Smoke? We don't really know how the dragon logic works there. And will Hot D explain it? Can anyone else claim sea smoke while Lenor is alive? That is the question, and that is why some people suggest that Lenor is Adam. Yeah, whereas my solution to the dragon logic conundrum there is um, this will be how we find out that Lenor is dead. 
if he like that's how what I think might happen in the show. Yeah, it's so fun that we get to theorize about a show again, right? <laughs> and a show that's actually good. Yeah, my goodness. Um, Sean McCoy says, do you guys ever feel like A Song of Ice and Fire is an alternate history in medieval America, the North being Canada and Dawn being Mexico, Essos positioned like Europe? Yeah. But I mean, it, it, it's also very, very European. Yeah. Like, it, like it's like, it, it's an American take on... On British medieval history. I think... Isn't it Dave Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, that YouTube channel, um, who's doing a read-through of the books? I think... I haven't actually watched or listened, but I, I've heard that the Dornish characters have southern accents. Oh, that's awesome. It actually works pretty well, from what I've heard. Yeah, no, I... Yeah, that's, that's kind of fun. I can see that being interesting. Yeah. I wish... Um, language and accent i wish there was more fun had in the adaptations of westeros solid earl says would sir gregor or strong belwas win in an eating competition no contest it's strong belwas and i don't think gregor has really got much of an appetite at this point yeah being a zombie mm, yes bobby muscles not very hungry yeah carver says even the stone in a shy is greasy it's George's paradise. <laughs> Thank you, Carver Tate, who says, do you think if the greasy stone were wrapped in bacon, George would eat it? I, I don't mean, think you'd need to. He'd just eat it. There's no need for the bacon. Yeah, cut out the middleman. Yeah. Thank you for the super chat from Gliders Snow, who says, I learned how to hunt smiley face. Well, well, well done, my boy. One day you may be worthy of my name. You didn't, you didn't teach little Gladys how to hunt? Pyrofessional <laughs> is a weird cat boy. Thank, Thank you, you Zimmermja. Zimmerm Thank you, Marcella Deliveria, who says, Since this is clearly a theory stream, if you could ask George R. Martin to confirm or deny one theory, what would you ask about? Well, when we go see him on his birthday, September the 20th, when we go to Santa Fe... Um, hang on, what's the side note there? The, the side note... Oh, so... Oh, you've been mispronouncing it. I have been time. serially mispronouncing <laughs> the name Marcella Deliverer as Marcella Deliveria. And but, but apparently it's liked, so don't don't change what you do. Well, I, I, I... Yeah. I mean, I feel like now every time I see the name, I'm going to pronounce it differently, just to iterate <laughs> on it further, just for um, fun. Well, if I did meet George, I don't think I'd want to ask him about any of this stuff, but I suppose you're asking me what I would do. Like, if I had to pick one theory to confirm or deny. Um, do you have any ideas? I would ask George about the Harangans. Yeah? Yeah. What about them? Are, are they on the Vulcan spaceship? No, I, I, I would... I'd love to ask him about something that isn't a Song of Ice and Fire too. Yeah, but I'd, I'd like to look into some of his other kooky books. Um, uh, Rob's will would be interesting to ask about. Like, does Rob's will legitimize Jon Snow? I think that's a probability. Does it have instructions for throwing Arya a name day feast? Um, who is the ghost in Winterfell? The ghost in Winterfell is something that George doesn't really have to explain if he doesn't want to, but it would be cool if he did. Mm. Who's the Shrouded Lord? 
Did Euron really walk the dusky woman? Yeah. I've got a bad feeling the answer is yes. It very well could be. that. Like, it's not as much of a meme as it's made out to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hate it. But, like, Euron has done worse. And George has written weirder. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the Arkan Daddy says, I'm not going to read that variation of my name. I believe it's pronounced Glimbacy. <laughs> like the uh, romantic composer Debussy. Debussy. <laughs> Um, your madness cover is amazing. Thank you very much. Where can people hear your madness oh, cover? Oh, so that's Gladys? a cover of a Muse song that's uploaded to my second channel, Glimbus. Glimbus. We'll put a link in the description. Thank you, Ross, who says, When was the last time you had an F-tier meal in real life? How greasy were them chins? You got one? Uh... I I once was on a traveling trip when everyone except me got very bad food poisoning and I was starting to feel left out. <laughs> so I ate the weirdest, grodiest looking street food, gas station food that I could find to try and, you know, have some solidarity yeah, with yeah. my brethren who were either, you know, pooping continuously or not pooping at all for weeks on end. Um and and, th- and those were some FTA meals. This sounds like an It's Always Sunny plot. Like everyone else gets food poisoning and Charlie feels left out. And he just eats something he found under the bridge to join in. Cat food. <laughs> have, have, have you seen the new It's Always Sunny episode? Yeah, I, I watched the latest season literally yesterday. <laughs> nice. I quite like. Yeah, it was the... very good. The trip to Ireland. Well, I'm talking about the new new season. Oh, season 16. I season haven't watched 16. that. Season no. 16. I quite enjoyed season 16, episode one in particular. I'll, I'll watch that soon, I guess. But I, I'm not comfortable with Mac not having facial hair. Oh, no. Yeah. He looks like the Mythic Quest guy now. I, f- I forget the actor's name. What's I feel it? like a part of us always knew that he looked like the Mythic Quest guy. Well, it's just because they're played by the same person. <laughs> Thanks for the super chat from Andre, who says, Thank you, Schwafto and Glambo, for the hours of fun. Favorite non-fantasy or sci-fi books? What's a book? Uh, I think it's... I think it's... Like the... I I, I have been dipping into uh, Jorge Luis Borges' Fictiones, which I clearly can't pronounce you correctly. nerd. I know. And he writes these these cute stories that are about stories and people who are kind of going crazy. And it's really fun and strange and everyone's different. And it's from like a very sort of different time and place than I'm familiar with. And so I really enjoy that. And my favorite story from that is called Tlone Akbar Orbis Tertius. And it's this mind-bending short story about uh, reality and books and things turning inside out. Right-oh. And that's really cool. I guess that is a fantasy book, sort of. It sounds like it. Yeah, I guess it is a bit fantastical. So, yeah, that's my answer anyway. I don't know if I could choose a favourite non-fantasy or sci-fi book, because all of my favourite books are fantasy. Oh, yeah, well, favourite. Yeah, God. Yeah, favourite. Jesus. God, we'll be here a while. Yeah, we'll get we'll we'll get back to you, Andre. Yeah. Oh, um, can I describe my most recent F tier meal? Please. Um, so family Christmas a couple of years ago, <laughs> I 
I have an uncle who's a bit of a stooge, a bit of a stinge, and um, I, 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 feel, I guess he just didn't feel like affording enough gas to cook all the chicken. So he served us all. It, 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 did, it was cold, kind of sopping, undercooked chicken. Yeah. And as recently discussed, don't eat undercooked chicken. Mm. So that explains your New Year's Eve. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Next with a super chat from Ben Mansfield, who says, Hi Glimbo and Schwifto. So glad to catch a hotly anticipated stream. I've wondered who Schwift's favourite character is. Glidus clearly favours Orang. True. So true. Uh, well, I favour... Who's, who's the pirate king who people say is Orain Waters? Oh, <laughs> the Lord of the Waters. Well, my favourite character is the Lord of the Waters, which is clearly a different character to yeah, Orang. Favourite character? I mean, come on. It's so, it's so Favourite character? I mean, look, I mean... I, I, I'm so envious of people who can answer this question. Yeah, like, How I... How do you do it? Yeah. I, 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 look, I mean, Tyrion is one of the best-written characters of all time. Of all time! <laughs> no, Tyrion's very good. Um, but, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a silly question. It's, it's too hard of a question. Cersei is enormously fun in Feast. Yeah. Like, there's a lot going... I mean, all the Lannisters are just great. There's so much going on with all the Lannisters. I don't know. Wy- Wyman is fun. Wyman is cool and layered and interesting. Stannis has... has... I'm just going to list every character. Shagwell. So, yeah, Sha- <laughs> all right. And I know who is not my favorite character. <laughs> and Shagwell is it. Yeah. Spike also asks, what are your favorite characters? Yeah. Oh, I'm- POV characters. That is a bit easier to sort out, but it's still fraught with danger. Who's your least favorite POV character? Oh, gosh. And why is it Ario Hota? I actually kind of like the guy who watches that, but because of the promise of seeing something later on. I, 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 I like the promise of Ario Hota. I think Aris Okart is one of my least favorite yeah. characters. Because I don't find him all that likable or interesting. He's just sort of a guy. There's nothing wrong with him. It's just obviously, like, he's a camera who George Martin made up to fulfill a plot purpose. Mm. And, like, it is interesting seeing that plot through someone else's eyes for a bit, but it feels as though the story could have been told between Ariana and Ario. Yeah, the more obvious thing would have been just to have Ariane do it. Yeah. Her POV. But, um, yeah, Aris doesn't work for me all that well. Um... I think Tyrion is definitely one of the most fun POV characters. And Arya. Arya's wonderful. The King Who Knitted. (laughs) Love the streams. First time chatter. Are the children of Robert that Cersei ate part of the food description rating? Uh, The the sorry? Uh, You know how... Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. I get what... I get it. He did a sex joke. The finger and the bomb. (laughs) Thanks for the super chat from Mazor, who says, Just finished the first book in the Abridged series. Are there any plans to continue it? Yes. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) We did it! Uh, Yeah, there there will be more episodes. I can't promise when, but there will be more. It has been... It has clearly... It has evidently been on the back burner. There are many things at work. There are many plates that are spinning, but I would love to do more. Game of Thrones debris. And some of those plates have 
foods that we must describe. That's correct. Um, Wealth Wolf says, Gindle, will you give us a food description of T-Wow after you've eaten it? Um, I plan on doing more than just describing it. I'm expecting a documentary. That's basically what's going to happen. I would would like to do a tier ranking of the Alt-Shift-X and Clytus nicknames that Live chatters will meet up I, for I'm us. I'm a fan of Gindle. <laughs> Gindle. Gindle's got a ring to it. Uh, thanks for the super chat from Thomas, who says, Finally caught one live. Even better, because I'm cooking breakfast. Have a couple Cokes on me, boys. Glimbo and Shrifty. Thanks, Thomas. I'll have to enjoy Coke. I think we're going to do a lightning round to finish up some of these <laughs> live streams, and then we'll wrap it up, because we have been talking for two and a half hours. Yeah, short one today, guys. Short one. Just a quick two and a half yeah, hours yeah, yeah, of talking yeah. about food. Oh, Lachlan says, hey, Glimbo and Shifty. It, Shifty, thank you. If you guys ever get to Fire and Blood, would there be a Luke food description? I hadn't even considered doing the extra books. Yeah, people have been eaten in those other books. Uh, I, I don't think it's described very much in Fire and Blood, though, because Fire and Blood is just this dry historical text. Yeah. It doesn't have the meaty details of, of the eatings. So I don't know if that would work. We, maybe we could look at the TV show version for some culinary inspiration. I don't know. <laughs> and then you'd have to like view it from the point of view of a dragon. Anyway, lightning round. Tyrion kills Illyrio. Had to go to the hospital unexpectedly a while back, and the waiting time was in the UK. It was in the UK was hours, even at three a.m. Goodness! Luckily, your video of the Game of Thrones Telltale game had just released, and I laughed till I cried. This is my thanks. Please do more. Hope you feel better. It's so interesting. We've had so many comments in super chats telling us to continue that one, and I think we both agree it's the one we'd least like to continue. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we both felt the experience of trying to talk over the dialogue in the Game of Thrones Telltale game to be bewildering and overwhelming, and maybe that's why people enjoy yeah, it's, watching it's a us. Complete chaos. <laughs> because every decision we made was so malinformed because we were riffing over everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It would be funny to attempt that again, I guess. Thank you, Gokan Demersi, who says, Love you guys. You're an awesome team. Keep going. Thank you. Thank you, Kobe Z, who says, For these streams, I think we need a soundboard option with Mormont's Raven screaming, Ham! To the voice of Angie from 30 Sorry, Rock. I don't remember what Angie from 30 Rock Yeah, who's like. Angie from Angie 30, Rock? 30 Rock? I remember 30 Rock pretty well. I don't remember an Angie. Is it Tracy's wife? Oh, yeah. I don't, when does she scream ham? Yeah, I, don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, well, if anyone ha- has um, suggestions for the soundboard, <laughs> like, let me know. Like, I like I want to put a shame bell in there, but if you've got other ideas, comment comment them. Thank you, Maximilian Rodler, and thank you, Ubu Watch, who says, Why can Danny control three dragons? Can the blacks do that since they have more dragons? That's a great question. That's a fantastic question. Um, we have no idea. Do you think Danny is just like a super? Uh, well, I mean, here's the real answer. Danny doesn't control yeah, three no. dragons. Danny barely controls one dragon. Yeah, I think the only instance of her controlling three dragons is in season six of Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. The the, the TV show sort of suggests that Daenerys can control all of her dragons, but in the books, Danny cannot control. All yeah. the dragons. She struggles to control Drogon at all. And so my response to that is, Danny can control three dragons in Game of Thrones because they didn't really think about it. Yeah, that's usually the answer. 
Like, for real, like, Rhaegal and Viserion are running around eating people on both sides of the battle right now in Tila. Like, they're, like they're all over the place. And God knows what Drogon, you know, was up to that whole time. Thanks for the super chat from Brianna Abdelt, Abelt, who says, You guys are the Lord, Lord Bees! Bees! <laughs> Thanks for the super chat from Brian, who says, Let's get this bread. Let's get it. Thanks for the super chat from Severna. He says, I've been reading some of the old lore of D&D and the story about how one of the moons above Toril has a crack in it and what happens next. It sounds really familiar. Do you think George R. R. Martin is a D&D fan? Just want to be clear, we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons, not Dave and Dan. Ah. Um, George absolutely is a Dungeons and Dragons fan. I think he's talked about it before. Yeah, Tyrion Lannister was originally a tabletop role-playing character that George played. Uh, called Borbo Pinto or something, and it was based on G- like a Glimbo Bimbo. <laughs> it seriously sounds like that. It's like a it's like a a racist Asian dwarf but the character. Thing is, he from... came up with it when he was sixteen or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, th- there's a there's a long and colourful history <laughs> of George Martin playing D and D and similar role playing games. So uh, no, he loves this stuff. Yeah, he he he's old school dork. I don't know if he's stolen mythology from that, but, you know, you, you write what you know, and he knows a lot of fantasy crap. Yeah, and I mean, I, he's not the first or the last guy to write about the moon having a crack in it. Mm. I always loved in the Scott Pilgrim comic books, Scott punches the moon and leaves a crater in it as a <laughs> testament to a teenage crush. It's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, everyone looks at the moon, so inevitably yeah. cultures have opinions about it. It's cool, though, isn't it? Syrian says, do you think George's notes are lost or that they will publish them like was done with Tolkien's? Um, I don't think he's lost anything, has he? He's never spoken about that, to my knowledge. It would explain a lot, though, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, actually, he's said in the past that he doesn't really have that many notes. Can that and, be true? And that, well, like, why else do you have your, your gremlins, Elio and Linda? Yeah, because Elio and Linda are George's collaborators who help him keep track of the world building details. And yeah, it sounds like he really is sort of at their mercy to remember his own <laughs> world. I wonder I wonder if George uses the wiki, the wiki of Oh God, I hope not. I hope not because it's quite I vandalized that yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> is that why it says Tyrion is seven foot tall? <laughs> um, Look, publishing houses are publishing houses, and if they have ownership of some guy's, a very famous author's stuff, after that very famous author dies, you know, if if they have the rights to it. Yeah, George's publishers have shown a strong desire to publish everything that they can get their hands on that mm-hmm. has George's name on it. Yep. Like, I mean, look at the Rise of the Dragon book that they just published, which is a condensed version of the Fire and Blood book, which is an expanded version of the World of Ice and Fire <laughs> book. Like, they just want to fucking throw as much shit out there with George's name on it as they can. And if they can get their claws on George's word star typed notes about Meron Trance second cousins like Pinto Bimbo (laughs) you better believe they're gonna stick it on every bookshelf in North America five minutes after he takes his last breath did I sound cynical then? fucking morbid a little bleak I'm sorry I mean true though 
<clears throat> um, Zing K says many, many thanks, thanks to Sphinxington and Uber Commandant Reichsführer Glumbel von oh Spiderland God. for this supreme and most choice selection of entertainment. Where did this come from? <laughs> it, it just came through me. That is the voice that went with those words Very in good. my mind. Well done. Thanks for the super chat from Mazor. What is that currency? It's the Zuckbuck, I think. Ah. Thanks for the super chat from Mazor, who says, I'm a professional chef. Which food description should I try to make? Is beans. Rum ham. <laughs> I think you should try to make the Samuel. Milk steak. <laughs> Milk steak. <laughs> uh, which food description would actually be good? What, 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 I mean, what did we just... We dis- ranked quite a few as S tier. What, what, was, what was like the S tier one? From today. Yeah. There was an early S tier, wasn't there? I w- actually, you know what? You should try the roast squirrel... Acorn paste and pickle. That would be, that would be interesting to cry. Yeah. yeah. And remember that to do it authentically, you need to bludgeon the squirrel to death with a <laughs> jar of pickles. I just think that'd be an interesting thing to see into reality. Yeah. Thank you, Shane. Um, in a cock Davos 2, Stannis says, I magicked into a pig to kill my brother. Um, Stannis is a pig. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say he doesn't have trotters. Yeah. I mean, we know that uh, uh, Tyrek is a horse. Do, is Stannis a pig? No, Stannis is... Oh, no, Tyrion is a pig. Stannis is a bed. <laughs> Tyrion is a pig because he rides a pig in Moraine. Yeah, true. Tyrion is a pig. It's proven. Tyrion is also a horse sometimes. How can you be both a pig and a horse? Well, if Egret somehow manages to be a goat, a fish, and a horse. Oh, my goodness. A, a chimera. A hybrid. No wonder John fell in love with her. My goodness. Right, we've reached the end of the Super Chats backlog. backlog. People have stopped giving us money now, so let's um, get back to work. Yeah, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do a couple more food descriptions, then we'll wrap it up, I reckon. Oh, that's a big one, isn't it? Yes. Alright, this, this, yes, this will be our, our finale food description. Yeah, you don't want to finish the book? Uh, I, I think that might take us a while okay. at this rate. Fair enough. She found Lord Robert alone in the morning hall above the kitchens. So, so this is Sansa in the Eyrie, by the way. Pushing a wooden, a wooden spoon listlessly through a big bowl of porridge and honey. I wanted eggs! He complained when he saw her. I wanted three eggs, boiled soft, and some back bacon! They had no eggs, no more than they had bacon. The Eyrie's granaries held sufficient oats and corn and barley to feed them for a year... But they depended on a bastard girl named Maya Stone to bring fresh foodstuffs up from the valley floor. With the Lord's declarant encamped at the foot of the mountain, there was no way for Maya to get through. Lord Belmore, first of the six to reach the gates, had sent a raven to tell Littlefinger that no more food would go up to the Eyrie until he sent Lord Robert down. It was not quite a siege, not as yet, but it was the next best thing. You can have eggs when Maya comes, as many as you like. Elaine promised the little lordling. She'll bring eggs and butter and melons, all sorts of tasty things. The boy was unappeased. I wanted eggs today! I don't want porridge! Robert flung his spoon across the hall. It bounced off a hanging tapestry. Hmm. And left a smear of porridge upon a white silk moon. The lord wants eggs! The lord shall eat porridge and be thankful for it! Said Peter's voice. Oh, sorry. Petaya's voice behind them. <laughs> I do not let my porridge fly! 
This time, Robert... <laughs> F for everyone who was <laughs> sleeping. This time, Robert flung the bowl, porridge and honey and all. <laughs> Peter Baelish ducked aside nimbly, but Maester Coleman was not so quick. The wooden bowl caught him square in the chest, and its contents exploded <laughs> upwards over his face and shoulders. Globs of porridge dotted Maester Coleman's face and hair as he knelt over his charge, murmuring soothing words. One gobbet crept slowly down his right cheek like a lumpy grey-brown tear. The boy's fond of sweets, is he not? Sweets, said Coleman. Sweets, cakes and pies, jams and jellies, honey on the comb, perhaps a pinch of sweet sleep in his milk. Have you tried that? Just a pinch to calm him and stop his wretched shaking. Uh, yeah, so... so <laughs> So that's the scene. Scene. Uh, that is uh, Sweet Robin, young Robert Aaron, having a tantrum and throwing his porridge <laughs> at Littlefinger and a maester because he is discontent with not having enough food. And also his mother's dead, so that's a downer. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. The, the throwing of the porridge and the exploding onto the maester might be the funniest food-related scene since the crab fight. It's up there for sure, and and the porridge that smears upon the white silk moon is mm. clearly an allusion to the moon that explodes in Doria's story, which represents oh Nissa God. Nissa, because the porridge is the is the bleeding star that that represents the masculine energy that breaks the moon, creating new life and creating dragons in the world of Ice and Fire. And I just want to read where it, like what, what exactly it says of the tapestry. Uh, yeah, so the... Where is it? Did, 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 I, did I make it no, up? No, 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 you didn't make it up. Uh, go back up. Oh, yeah, it bounced off a hanging tapestry and left a smear of porridge. So, upon a white silk moon, okay. Oh, upon a white silk moon, okay. So, yeah. so, 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 I was so, just making sure you didn't make up that it was an Aaron tapestry. Like, it could have been anything, like the, the orgy tapestries of Mouse of the Dragon. Because there's that thing... About the tapestry that Littlefinger requests of Robert, right? Okay. There's this little offhand comment yeah, yeah, yeah. that Littlefinger makes that he wants a tapestry. Am I remembering this rightly? No, 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 you're right. And a lot of like fans have weird theories about like why does Littlefinger want a particular yeah, tapestry? Wh what's from he Robert? gonna do with that? So when I saw this tapestry, I'm like, is that the tapestry? I uh, know it's got the Aaron sigil on it. So it's, it, yeah. it, you'd think it's probably already from the Eerie, right? Yeah. But if Littlefinger's such a tapestry fancier, why is that in there? It must just be a coincidence. Two tapestries exist. Two tapestries Rose. exist. Yeah. All right. Um, what do you think of uh, the big bowl of porridge and honey combined with Maester Coleman? Is that a good <laughs> recipe? Or the tapestry. You or the tapestry. The tapestry. I think the tapestry is like the, uh, the, the serviette for you. Look, um, I don't mind porridge, especially when it's flavoured with honey. But... Um, if my mum had just died and I had to deal with all of the psychic bullshit going on in my head at the same time, hmm. I'd probably, you know, act out as well. Are you a sweet Robin is psychic truther? Well, I mean, he is Marillion. He's Marillion. He hears Marillion. He hears Marillion. Yeah. He is not Marillion. Unless maybe Marillion's Marillion walked into <laughs> sweet Robin <laughs> after he died. Does that mean sweet Robin is now in Marillion's body? Like a Freaky Friday situation. <laughs> they got in Professor Farnsworth's mind-switching machine. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I think that sometimes children have nightmares. That might explain yeah, why. Especially when they're, when they're going through very stressful, traumatic situations. Yeah. But I guess... Um... I know. Look, he's a, he sits on a weirwood throne. That's true. He sits on a weirwood throne. So what? And, he... and he's drugged. Um, the same way that Bran is. And he's physically weak, just like Jojo yeah. is and Bran was. I know. So, again, we were talking about uh, coincidences not always being literal, but, you know, thematically, Sweet Robin matches up with Bran a lot. He sits on, like, the highest point in Westeros, which is, like, sitting on top of a psychic antenna. Yeah. It's got to be easy for the for the three-eyed crow to reach him when he's up on the top of the Eyrie, so... Um, and... The three-eyed crow says to Bran that he will fly. And the porridge flies through the air. You've convinced me. Sweet Robin is psychic. Is that all in the um, Preston Jacobs video? Because Preston is is an advocate of this line of theorizing, isn't he? Absolutely, he he is. He loves him, his sweet Robin. I mean, he he has chosen him as his avatar. Um, Yeah, no, I actually really would recommend the time-traveling Bran series... Even if you think that, like, it's all very overdone, there's always interesting stuff to get out of um, a lot of theorists, analysts. Like, yeah. if you're willing to put up with this garbage that we're producing right now, <laughs> um, you'd definitely enjoy uh, what he had to say about that whole situation. Yeah. Or, or at least you'd get something out of it. I don't know if enjoy is the... No, I, I, I won't speak for you and say that you will enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know you. It would, it would be kind. It would be kind of interesting to do streams or content, just like literally just reacting to other Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, that'd be so easy. Videos and theories. <laughs> I mean, it would be quite easy, but it would, but it would, it would also be like educational. Yeah, like fun. we would definitely learn stuff. We, we you do. And it- we could debate what we're looking at. Yeah. We could get into heated arguments and refuse to speak to each other for several months at a time. <laughs> Again. Yeah. You, you need to do it with the permission of whoever made it. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, but I imagine most people would be cool with that. And of course it could be reciprocal. You're not allowed to watch my videos. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. These YouTube videos are not for watching without <laughs> written permission. It should only the be observed from the seating bench of a museum. Yes. Um, so, so would you like to eat three eggs boiled soft with some back bacon? Oh yeah, sure. A. Yep. Uh, would you like to eat eggs and butter and melons and all sorts of tasty things? That's an easy A. Um, Would you like to eat Maester Coleman's face? Uh, <laughs> I don't want it. Would you like to eat sweets, cakes and pies, jams and jellies, honey on the comb? But- and a bit of... <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit of opium. <laughs> yes. On- honestly, I'm not that into jellies. I'm not that into yeah. sweet pies. Like, I like a savoury pie. I'm not that into a sweet pie. Like, jam can be good. I used to not be into sweet pies either. They're not that much of a thing where I'm from. Um, yeah. The pies, pies are typically filled with meat or something. Um, but then I then someone I know cooked a magnificent pumpkin pie. Ooh. And um, I've been on the, the dessert pie grind for a while. But a pumpkin pie is not the most sweet of sweet pies, right? I suppose not. An apple pie is very, very sweet. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm i a fan of sweets, but 
I'm not super into the jellies, the sweet pies. Yeah, I'm with you on pa- on the jelly. And even the cakes. Like, cake, you don't want ultra sweet cake, you know? Like, you want, like, moderately sweet cake. All that said, I'm not not going to give this an A. Especially with the Especially opium. with the opium. Yeah. So, yeah, that's got to be an A. Um, and then, as Littlefinger welcomes the Lord's declarant to the Eerie. I said Eerie before, that now I'm saying Eerie. Maybe I'll say airy next time. I just want to keep people on their toes. Mm. So Littlefinger welcomes the Lord Declarance to the Eyrie, and he says, Tell the cook to mull some red wine with honey and raisins. Mm-mm-mm. Our guests will be cold and thirsty after their long climb. You are to meet them when they arrive and offer them refreshment. Wine, bread, cheese. What sort of cheese is left to us? The sharp white and the stinky blue. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like salad fingers, not Sansa Stark. Oh my god. That, that's my new head cannon. <laughs> the white. And you'd best change as well. Now, now, Littlefinger is a creepy dude who's telling Sansa to present food to entice his guests. He is also telling Sansa to change. So I think the undertone is that creepy Littlefinger is dressing Sansa up to present Sansa along mm. with the food as a thing to present, you know, in like a possessive way. I mean, Littlefinger, beca- Littlefinger like pimps out Sansa to the Boltons in Game of Thrones season five. Yeah. And he's in for no sort of, reason. For no reason. <laughs> in, in, in the book, he does a similar thing, but in a way that actually makes sense. Crazy. He wants Sansa to hook up with Harry the Air, supposedly. So it's it, it's weird how Littlefinger is so possessive of Sansa, but is like and wants her for himself, but at the same time uses her politically. He's so he's like controlling, and he, he's everything gross all at once. I really like how he is all that, but. Like, to someone like Cersei, he's just a charming, harmless little guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Littlefinger talks Cersei's language, you know? Like, he knows what to say to yeah. appease her. Like and that's he- what he's doing here. He's talking the Lord's Declarance's language. And th- and that's why Littlefinger is a criticism of the, like, the feudal class system. Because it's saying that th- this is the kind of dickhead that succeeds in this awful system. Mm-hmm. Like, 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 he knows what buttons to press, and they're all bad buttons, and, like, shit rises, you know? Like, he- is, Littlefinger is the best example of social mobility in this world. And because this world is so messed <laughs> up, it, mm. it, he's, it, he's a terrible guy who does it, you know? Yeah. Like, 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 no one well-intentioned rises this high. Yeah, it's possible for someone to rise from his station to the highest in, in the society, but it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the criticism of the institution. That shows how corrupt the institution is. I, I guess, like, a counterexample to that is Septon Bath. Because uh, Septon Bath was, mm. like, a common dude who Jaehaerys raised to be Hand of the King. Um, so that's a big jump of social mobility, yep. and it's a more positive one, because Bath was, like, a cool dude. Yeah, he was a Chad. But, uh, yeah. Is there any other cases of that sort of thing? Bath is a great example. I mean, Davos is yeah. the most prominent social mobility dude. And we see all of the obstacles that he faces, you know, like all the lords who don't respect him and don't listen to him well, because he's low class. The thing is, Peter, and because he tells the truth. Yeah. They hate it. Yeah. Peter is a nobleman. He was born to a somewhat noble family. Yeah. Who true. had some land. Whereas yeah. Davos was born to absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. Da- Davos... Climbs. So, P- Peter rose from middle management to the CEO, <laughs> whereas Davos was like a janitor who is now the the king's right hand man. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that, that's a good analogy. And yeah, D Davos. Yeah, L Littlefinger shows that if you lie and participate in evil, you can rise. And Davos shows that if you tell truth to power, you can still rise, but it'll be a lot harder. Mm. And, and that's and that's what all of George's heroes are. It's like being the good guy is harder, and it sucks. But that's what you got to do if you want to make positive change. Hmm. Tyrion throughout dance struggles with, um, you know, doing things. Doing things. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, why was it, why did my mind go to Tyrion at dance? He's someone who struggles from the loss of his status. Yeah. Like he does social yeah, mobility the in the opposite way. direction. He slides yeah. from the top all the way down to being a Wee. slave. So, That's yeah. a good point. Someone in the live chat, Sidsby, points out that Duncan the Tall is an Absolutely. example. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's an example of, of, of doing the right stuff. But of course, you know, Duncan the Tall, the Duncan Egg stories only cover the years of obscurity before they go to the royal court, before Dunk becomes a king's guard. And I, I think that it's likely that if George was to write more Duncan Egg stories... Crazy. I, I think that they would become a lot more morally complicated because like the Duncan X stories are pretty straightforward. Um, I mean, there, I mean, there is moral complexity in like, you know, uh, the Swan Sword and, and stuff with the Osgrees and the Webbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but my point is that it, it might be kind of easy for Dunk to do the right thing so far, but it's going to get harder. It's going to get harder for Dunk once politics gets involved, know, once standing power Standing up gets to involved. a prince for insulting a lowly girl can't, can't have been easy. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, I shouldn't say that it's easy. It, it, yeah, it is hard for Dunk to do what he does. But I guess what I'm just saying is that it's only going to get harder and it's only going to get more complicated. Yep. And so I think the later Duncan Egg stories will get a lot more political. And of course, realistically speaking, they're going to get a lot longer because it'll get more complicated. There'll be more characters. There'll be more stuff happening that are about entire wars like the Blackfire Rebellion. So obviously there's no way George is actually going to finish the Duncan Egg series in a bunch of short novellas. Let me dream. He's, oh, George is delusional. I love him, but he's delusional. I love him, but he's delusional. Oh, we need to end this on a high note, though, Gladys. <laughs> All right. How, how do you rate the food description of wine, bread, cheese, sharp white, oh, and stinky it's blue? Great. Can we give an S for the stinky blue? Well, he doesn't want to serve the stinky blue. No. He's serving the sharp white. Just an just an A then. Um, have we received any super chats to cap off? Just make sure we're. Oh, we got one from the real Glibusi. Oh, boy. The real Glibusi says, Lord Shrifty, George R. R. Martin told me a secret, that if you finished A Song of Ice and Fire abridged, he'd release Winds. Ooh. Do you think if Winds comes out, if, we, if, if the release date of Winds of Winter gets announced, I, I would probably just sit down and stream A Song of Ice and Fire Abridged continuously until I'd caught up to Winds. I think mm. that is probably... Yeah, it had put um, a hard cap on a lot of things. Like, all of the theory videos that all of us wanted to make be before the thing came out, we'd have to just go, 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 go. 
Yeah, because, like, the Song of Ice and Fire fandom has existed in this, like, temporal limbo where, mm. like, we are unstuck from time. We don't know <laughs> when the next installment is on the horizon. We don't know how long the wait will be. So, we all just sort of delve as deep as we see fit to delve with each video or whatever. But, like, if there was a Winds of Winter release date or if, you know, George had any kind of track record of reliable um, guesstimations of his progress there would suddenly be a lot more clarity around how much time we've got. We'd be able to make plans with our content. Yeah, how more. dare he not think about us? Yeah, like, like there must be people who, who really rushed and tried to really get their Song of Ice and Fire content out as quickly as humanly possible before Winds comes out. And wouldn't you feel like an idiot if you did that? Yeah, seven years ago. I'm glad that we've taken our time to really, like, simmer and think about the details. Of the food descriptions. Of the food yeah, descriptions. Yeah, well, that's the thing, isn't like... They, no one was talking about, no one was doing what we're currently doing seven years ago because it's made no sense. Why would you do this? I'm not sure it makes sense now. It doesn't, but this is where we are. (laughs) This is where he's taken us. I would like us to discuss some shows that are not stuck in temporal limbo. So that, I mean, I mean, House of the Dragon is, is, is good because it's ongoing and it's good, but, um... We should talk about other series, too, so we don't have to end each stream by saying, well, here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Spinning the wheel till the fat man sings. (laughs) Like a dad who's just stopped at a service station to fill up petrol on the road trip. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we might get somewhere next time. (laughs) It's all it's all a bit grim. Um, Yeah. However, I do want to do all of the feast and dance food descriptions, you know, in our next install. God. So the first one we got through two books. The second one we got through one book. <laughs> the third one we got through most of a book. Most of the shortest book. Uh, yeah. Look, uh, we we didn't cover a lot of ground in this stream, but uh, I enjoyed it, and I always uh, have fun. And and I think that's good. I don't think we even got halfway through feast. Actually, <laughs> I think we. Did less did like than a third. I think we did less than a third of a book. <laughs> it's a, it's amazingly inconsistent our pace. I don't know how, but um, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, there's there's people in the live chat suggesting we talk about Twin Peaks and the Return and and Remembrance of Earth's Past and uh, stuff. So yeah, I mean, if you if people in the comments have suggestions on like shows or books or stuff that we uh, could do streams and stuff about maybe maybe we will do that. A rock you saw? Yeah, maybe a particularly charming rock. You could you could grab that rock and and throw it at us, and that's what we call a hello rock. For now, I'll be sending goodbye rocks. Now the goodbye rocks cometh. <laughs> Thank you everybody for participating in this silly live stream. Um, thank you for the super chats. It's very kind. It's very generous. So nice. Uh, subscribe to Glidus. I guess. Links There's in the no real incentive anymore because che- I've already hit the eating wins milestone. Check out Glidus's rock band. Spotify link in the description. Check out... Uh, there's a podcast feed. If you want to listen to these live streams, they are on any podcast app or on Spotify or whatever you like. That's crazy. The wonders of modern technology. Yeah. <laughs> Sopranos food descriptions. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anything you'd like to say, Glidus? 
I was just talking for almost three hours. Isn't that enough? Yeah, how could there possibly be another <laughs> thing to say? Oh, my goodness. Stranger Things theories. The later seasons got weird, didn't they? Um, I like food. I like food, too. With those wise words, uh, we're going to wrap up the stream. Thank you, everybody. Uh, like and subscribe. And uh, do cardio and eat vegetables. Brush your damn teeth.